Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Tell me you saw that. Probably just an animal. Christian. I'm looking for my husband. His name is Jin Kwan. Do you know where he is? Follow me. to go back down the hatch it's the lost rewatch podcast here on post show recaps talking season five episode nine namaste i'm josh wiggler i'm joined here by mike bloom the workman himself yes my last name i fully co-opted it i've got the uniform to prove it so jack you're in good company here i know you might feel like you got Bust down a little bit from being Mr. Hotshot Spinal Surgeon, but you know what? We're having fun here with the workmen. All right, Mike, um, if you do exactly what I say, you're going to get out of this podcast totally fine. Identify yourself as a hostile. <laughs> All right, Josh, I put a lot of trust in you and I may not have seen eye to eye, but I got to admit, you're talking Winston Churchill now. You're sporting those fine specs. I'm inclined to believe you at this moment. Yeah, isn't it nice, Mike? All you got to do is nothing. Uh, let me handle. Yeah. Let me handle this. Um, yeah, that's the that's the number one thing Jack Shepard wants to hear in any moment, right? Don't do anything. I have this handled. You cannot do anything at the moment. I don't know. He seems to like it. He seems to like it by the end. Where he's like, oh yeah, that actually sounds great. <laughs> I don't. 
don't know. I don't know. There's there's an interesting read in that scene, which I will say, uh, probably the most interesting scene in this episode. But yeah. yeah, there's there's a lot to take away for this. So here's here's the thing, Josh. I think this might be the most meh lost episode I've seen in quite a while certainly of season five so far probably i mean i would even say i'd say going back to the glass ballerina maybe even further back maybe since homecoming this is the most sort of like whelmed i felt at a lost episode because this is i mean is it safe to say josh that this is the most plot forward episode we have had of the show period thus Um, far as opposed to like uh drilling down into character yeah, even though Drillman, we see Workman, not Drillman this episode. Uh, yeah, because I, I can't I think believe that, you went, you, you brought all these new Dharma inductees on and you didn't even call me. I was stuck underground drilling. I don't have to drill all the time. I can party. I can put lays on people. What's the big deal? I could take the photo, Phil. Well, the, the problem is, is that Pierre Chang actually said in a deleted scene that they lost all the files because Saul Drillman just keeps drilling holes in them. <laughs> yeah. Keeps yeah. practicing. Listen, you asked me to do paperwork. I only know how to do one thing. That's drill. OK, um, let me let me let me give you my perspective on on Namaste. Please do. Uh, yeah. Season five, episode nine. Uh, it is our uh, our first episode. Now that th- things have kind of stabilized, right? We're situating. Yep. We're in a situating type of situation. Uh, where, <laughs> where the Oceanic Six have returned to the island. We now know how they got here. We know that Locke is, uh, is dead, but there's a mysterious John Locke on the island that is now uh, canonized. Uh, and we know what happened to the people who were left behind. The Left Behinders stayed in 1977, built new lives for themselves. And now we move forward into the jungle, into the barracks, really. Um, and so it is. it is like very much, I think, like, this is sort of like a a we call these like a chess pieces episode I think. Yeah. Um I think like this is an episode that's sort of like uh like I I it's Olympics season. Uh Mike if I'm if I'm not mistaken. Uh what's that uh that event where they like they grease the floor and they it's like the they they like scrub the floor and then the thing goes down the the lane uh bobsledding no it's not bobsledding oh god <laughs> what's the eli- everyone is they like, grease the floor yeah, and the thing goes the down greasing of the floor what <laughs> is literally typing olympics grease the oh, floor oh god i can't get it oh my god i've just pulled up lube olympics this is no, not what i'm no, looking for josh i hope you're an incognito right oh now. my goodness uh it's a it's a thing and holy crap that i don't know the name of it that's what's happening you have to like you have to scrub the floor so that like the puck can go down. It's not like oh, you're sh- talking about curling. It's curling, thank God. Oh, <laughs> it's curling. I it's would curling. not describe curling as greasing That's the floor. Doing, you're taking right? a bro- you're taking a broom and you're sweeping the ice to like shave it down to provide a smooth pad. You're not, not greasing the floor. The floor. <laughs> no, there's no Grease. lubricant provided yeah. to ice. They're greasing the floor. Um, oh my God. Or Cur- greasing love floor. All Cur- curling curling reyes uh this this is like curling right like you're 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 greasing the floor as you do in (laughs) curling so that the thing could go further down and you get the thing and so like the rest of the episode's gonna be like the main part of curling and this is or the rest of the season and this is the shaving of the ice 
is what Namaste is doing. But I think to oh my god, that's so embarrassing. Um, to to say that this is uh, without character moments, I think is probably wrong. Um, what I do think for sure is it's like it's like it's it's definitely unfocused. Um, mm. It's for sure an unfocused episode of the show, which was fine earlier in the season, I think, uh, because we had like the time hoppy stuff was from like, you know, we were going from what's happening on the island three years ago to what's happening with the Oceanic Six in the present. That was sort of the divide. It was less character focused and more like kind of like event focused, even though there's like little kind of like character focuses even happening there. There isn't really a character thread here and also maybe it's like this late in the season this mode already feels outdated um but a lot of this is just like getting us from a to c you know like the, the b point is like okay this is necessary stuff that needs to happen um in order to make the rest of the season make sense um but is it like is it whelming? I think that that's not unfair. I I think it's important, and I think that there are great scenes in here. I'm certainly higher on this one than than you are, I believe. Um, but I would also for sure say that if this isn't the the weakest episode of season five, by my estimation, it's definitely close. But I still think that the weakest episode of season five is uh, is better than many episodes of Lost that we have encountered to this point. Um, so I'm I'm not mad at it. I kind of I kind of do enjoy this style of Lost episode, especially more now um, with like knowing where the end game of the show is centered. Uh, that like I enjoy it when like the gang is together and the gang gets into hijinks. Like this is a hijinks heavy episode. I feel like mm, I suppose I think. My issue is exactly what you pointed out, where it's clear they sort of had, okay, by he's our you, we have to have, you know, Saeed in this jail, we have to have everybody in there, and then we have to sort of set up Son and Frank on the main island. How do we get there? And I know that I've invoked the Nothing Burger comparison, but, uh, you know, we just celebrate the July 4th holiday, and I feel like this episode is kind of a, a hot dog from a plot perspective. And then <laughs> well, it feels you know like- I'm going to vote for that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, or legs. I and love that a hot a, dog. There's a lot of like, it feels like there's a lot of plot odds and ends thrown in, yeah. right? Like you said, it feels necessary, but I'm not necessarily here for necessary, if that makes sense. And I, I think your point about it being unfocused is, I think, the the biggest mark against the episode, sure. in my opinion. Because especially coming off of three episodes where, yes, I was not a big fan of the life and death of Jeremy Bentham, but you get, you know... Big Jack episode, big Locke episode, big Sawyer and the Left Behinders episode. And now we're just sort of into like, everybody's kind of hanging out and we get little moments with everyone. Yeah, exactly. I think there are certainly lost episodes that have that aspect that I enjoy. But I think, again, what has always come back to a matter of timing, it just feels oddly placed in this episode it's a necessary transition it's a necessary connection you make on your flight but nobody enjoys their time hop running across the airport trying to make their connecting flight right so i feel like it's sort of like a almost a necessary evil uh that the season has to accomplish Hmm. to get into what really is the back half of the season see i think um i i will i will slightly disagree a well-timed and well-planned layover can be a fantastic thing uh like a well-timed well-planned uh like banked upon layover can actually be great uh Mm. is this great i don't know if it's great 
I don't think it's great. I think it's I think it's fun. I think I think Namaste is a fun episode of the show. Uh, I think it's like you you built in uh, like you have like a very important trip. Uh, you're not going to be able to get there without a connecting flight. So you build in like eight hours that you know. So you have a buffer. You're not going to stress about missing that next flight. You know that this is going to be a piece of the trip. So you like you've mapped out like is there a place I can go outside of the airport? Is there cool stuff within the airport? Some airports are cool. This is this is a thing. There's some airports that are great. Uh, there are some, cool airports. Some terminals are wonderful. Uh, and so like plan it out a little bit. And so I think that there are things in here like I I think a, a lot of really great Sawyer scenes. I think this is an excellent Sawyer episode. Uh, whether it's the scene with him and Jack at the end of the episode, or even just like the way that he is handling the Saeed problem, the way that Sawyer is kind of doing what Jack normally would do, um, like running all over the island and almost single-handedly trying to problem-solve every single issue, but like filtered through Sawyer's lens. I think this is a really excellent episode for the evolution of this character, and now like it's not just like sort of like theoretical. Now we're seeing it in action with our original group. I think that stuff is really, really fun. I think it's a really fun um, Jeff Fahey uh, performance in this episode this week. I think Frank is hysterical. But I do think that the timing stuff is wonky and weird, and it's another reason why I am heavily in favor of the nuclear option. Like, I think that this plays better with certain things rejiggered. Uh, Yeah, well, well, let's remember that in, in your nuclear option, the life and death of Jeremy Bentham has not happened yet. That is happening later on in the season, and I think that does help correct some stuff in... Listen, I'll be candid. Uh, the 2007 stuff is not great in this episode. It's boring. I think, it's boring. I, I, I think there's a, the, the spookiness of comparing Dharmaville now to Dharmaville then, I think, is the most interesting part of it. But it is definitely the most chess PC of this chess PC episode. Yeah. Uh, but I do think that, you know, if you're sort of putting it in front, if this is our introduction to 2007 uh, on the island instead of okay we already have you know resurrected Locke. they already talked about again this is technically like a flashback then considering that or jeremy beth is a flash forward considering that they already have talked about the outrigger being taken that basically it's like okay we know the end of jeremy bentham we have to find out how jeff and uh how jeff how uh frank and son left the island and how ben ends up in that bed i guess we have to put this in here then i think it definitely is much more advantageous to put this episode before that so that it, it doesn't feel necessarily like, okay, they just had to squeeze these plot points in to answer those questions that were asked a couple episodes ago. Sure. Okay. I don't disagree. I, I think it's going to be interesting to talk through. It's an episode of Lost. We're going to have fun no matter what. Consider oh, yeah. this us greasing the floor as we are getting ready to, because that's what you do in curling, and that's what of we course. do here on Down the Hatch as we are just uh, setting the deck to talk about namaste uh this is the part where normally i tell you so down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com that's our email address that's how you get your feedback in get your feedback in for next week's episode he's our you except that mike and i in the real time are actually recording he's our you tomorrow uh yeah josh you're going on your own trip no connecting flights though no connecting flights uh but we are recording down the hatch back to back so hopefully you've gotten your he's our you feedback in already and if you have not no sweat 
wet, we will uh, be in a regular, uh, your regularly programmed schedule, um, uh, starting with whatever happened, happened. So not a huge deal, but just a programming note uh, that we uh, had already put the, the signal out for, but always good to remind the listeners um, as we move forward. Mike, before we move forward, I do want to take a quick moment to thank our sponsors for this episode of Post Show Recaps. Those are our friends over at Geico. Do you own or rent your home? Sure you do. And I bet it can be hard work. You know what's easy? Bundling policies with Geico. Geico makes it easy to bundle your homeowners or renters insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing, too, because you already have so much to do around your home. Go to Geico.com, get a quote, and see how much you could save. It's Geico easy. Visit Geico.com today. That's Geico.com. Mike Bloom, with all that said, let us go forth into the jungle with Namaste, directed by Jack Bender, written by Paul Zbuski. I'm botching that. Uh, and Brian <laughs> So K. many Vaughan. consonants just thrown together. Oh my gosh. Uh, and uh, yeah, as we noted last week, they skipped my birthday in 2009. How dare they? Uh, Eric Divestein style. Uh, March 18th, 2009 was when this originally aired. I believe Lostpedia has this as a Frank episode. Yeah, but I think Wikipedia has it as a non-centered episode. Who do you trust more, Lostpedia or Wikipedia? I trust Lostpedia. I trust Lostpedia more, but I think Wikipedia is more correct here. Mm, uh, it, yeah. it just feels like even the stuff that's happening, like I guess Frank temporarily taking charge of the Ajira folk is centric enough. But you talked about this last week. The 2007 stuff feels actually much more sun-focused than it does frank centric yeah i think that that's right i think that like and also even a lot of like the 77 stuff like you can imagine that this is like uh the tale of of Jin and son across time scrambling to find each other uh so like i think that that story threads to some extent just not as powerfully woven as what we will get in the next several episodes for, for my money we're gonna have like uh uh, nothing but bangers from this point forward after mm-hmm. Namaste, uh, with like the exception maybe of Follow the Leader, which is another chess pieces heavy episode. Um, but the next four are all going to be like character focused stuff that I think is like really compelling, certainly acting showcases, but like almost like uh, like final agreeable character pieces. Like uh, like mm-hmm. uh, when I say that, I mean like season six can be so controversial for so many people that I think that like where they go with it um, for like the, these character notes in the final stretch of season five, I feel like many people, if not most people who are, you know, lost fans through this point in the show can feel pretty good about. Um, so I just think like this being like sort of like Jin and Son ish, is just not quite strong enough to uh, really stand a chance of competing with um, some of the episodes that have immediately preceded this one and certainly the ones that are going to come next. Especially this place's death, right? Like, that—that that is a much more of a comparable Jin and Sun centric episode. Because like you said, 77, it's, a, it's great to watch Sawyer do it. And I guess Jin's sort of doing his own stuff with Saeed, but it's not as focused right. as the stuff that we've had in the past. This really does, I think feel like the first episode this season that doesn't really have a character focus even like we've talked about how in previous episodes like jughead is a desmond slash daniel faraday episode for example right like there are characters you could add onto the centricity this truly does feel like the first one where it's just sort of like i don't know everyone's got something to do in this episode but no one particularly is getting a big highlight purposely here um, let's get into the episode uh so it does begin with frank which i think is maybe why because like 
it's a Frank flashback technically, right? Because we have moved forward with this timeline, uh, which I think is like another thing where it's like, this is like, I, I appreciate like the, the structural playfulness, um, but like maybe because like the time travel stuff is as complex as it is, it's like, give it to us a little more in a more straightforward fashion. Cause like now we're like having to like, kind of like retroactive, like, so where does this take place in relation to Bentham? Like I think like the, the that like Jenga tower can be a little wobbly at times. Yeah. Uh, and this Not is- to mention, I don't know. Maybe maybe the CGI, Josh, took me out of it. But, like, I am not a fan of watching this quote-unquote crash. Like, it's it's great yeah. to see the Frank side of things, to have the co-pilot be like, oh, you see this, uh, the guy from the Oceanic 6 on there? Uh, and then, you know, to have Frank's, oh, no, before everything goes haywire. But it doesn't feel like, again, you know, we, we sort of assumed how they got to the island once we saw they went up in that plane. Yeah. So I, it, it sort of just feels like this is... I would say it's an impressive set piece, but again, I, I feel like good good flying on Frank's part, uh, but not an overall necessary scene to get us into everything. So this is like the crash scene. We see how Frank is able to land a Jira on Hydra, and they're able to, you know, evasive maneuvers and all of that. I think like one of the main takeaways, just like narratively, and uh, something we'd been talking about before with like the three one six piece of like how are they actually getting back to the island? Does any of this really make sense? Um, and like this idea. Of Maybe that like they know that this is a moment where like you can move through time and space in relation to the island um, in like this particular spot on the trip to Guam um, that like we have certain passengers, namely uh, not all, but some of the Oceanic Six that are going to move in time. But these are the ones who move in space because uh, it's pitch black and then suddenly after the flash, it's broad daylight. Uh, so it's like the, they've moved to wherever the island is because they're still in 2007. Unless Mike, they like skipped forward like a few hours or a few days. Yeah. So like I, I was a bit confused about that because another big piece of it is so when they turn on the radio, there's a broadcast of the numbers, and we're talking not like the you know not the 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 French message or anything. Even we're going back to like the original Valenzetti esque numbers. So it makes me wonder like did the plane almost drop off? Hurley, Jack, Saeed, and Kate in that instance, and that's why it's, you know, it's picking up that broadcast, and then it flashes forward to 2007. I'm not entirely sure, but that was something I picked up on this time around, that it was somehow picking up a frequency that really was out of time, and maybe gives a hint as to where that plane was for a brief portion of time before it gets hurled ahead to nighttime. Um, I'd also be curious if anyone's got thoughts on this. Is there any... um is there anything like continuity wise preventing the idea that even um, the the like the present day quote unquote Ajira is like moving forward in time to a certain degree? Like we just like kind of say like it's in 2007 because that's when like the present storyline has been. But is there anything that like automatically rules out that they couldn't have skipped forward like months into the future? Uh, you know, sometime into the future. We know that, like, Widmore is going to come to the island. He's bringing mm-hmm. Desmond with him. The whole Widmore clan is coming. Um, That, like, schlep from L.A. to, like, the circumstances that Desmond was left in and Widmore was left in to, like, getting straight from there to the island in, it's going to be, like, what? Like, a week? Right? Yes, it's like when it's going to go yeah. down in season six. Does it make more sense if Ajira moved forward in time to like meet the island at a different moment? And that, like, even like Sun and Frank and Ben and Locke's body, uh, that these, uh, these, these individuals all, um, 
all lost like i don't know when when the flight is but let's say like they lost like july through november like is that possible Mm -hmm. is that on the board i'm just curious it's just something i hadn't even thought of until just like mouthing off like that so once 3d plane lands here right poor uh superstitious co-pilot is dead yeah he gets he gets a branch through him and josh maybe this i'm far from any sort of uh avowed arborist here that branch did not look very jungly to me i don't know if i'm the only one it looked almost like a pine tree yeah Michael's revenge. I don't know. Um, it could have been Michael's final last stab at, of legacy. I'm yeah. like, I'm going to take someone out along the way. Yeah, I don't know. I had, I didn't really look at the branch. I'm going to have to study the branch now. Uh, but, but look at this. Here comes Frank Lapidus, the man that was formerly supposed to fly Oceanic 815, now flying another plane that ends up crashing onto the island. I you know. know uh, destiny finds a way. It does find a way, ultimately. Poor Frank. Frank, like, uh, it's one thing about the, like, the opening scene that is, like, kind of sad is, like, Frank being, like, he's, like, I, I, you know, made fun of him before, like, turn that plane around, mister, but, like, there's, like, this look on his face almost of, like, Oh, no. Like, he's just, like, sort of, like, shell-shocked almost. Like, he knows that, like, there isn't really a thing to do here. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's... I think it's... There's a lot of inevitability for Frank. I guess maybe that's a reason why they wanted to cut to this, was to show, like, he knew from the get-go that this was going to be an issue. We saw this a bit in 316, the whole, we're not going to Guam, are we? But I think now we're starting to see him finally put reality together. Again, I will give him credit for, you know, being able to steer the plane basically around the volcano that never goes off in the island and being able to land it on Hydra. We finally get the appearance of that runway. And obviously, Josh, this is now like the official confirmation of what is going to be pivotal in the series finale. This is what's going to get Frank himself, plus Miles, Claire, Richard, Sawyer, Kate, etc. off the island in the end. It makes sense, right? Like this show begins with a plane crash that like if you're starting to like build out like images for the end of the show, like what are some like so if one of like the central set pieces of the very start of Lost was a plane crash on an island. Like, you kind of have to answer that with a plane leaving. Um, right. So, I think, like, this is one of the things where, like, uh, we talked last week based on the fabulous feedback from Jesse Camacho of, like, the ways in which certain things probably ended and shifted from, like, character perspectives uh, along the way. Um, like, I think that there's a lot that they did not know. Uh, like, so much that they did not know along the way. But I think that there are probably, like, early on a couple of ideas that they did did feel good about um one probably being like the ending needs to require some battle with the smoke monster um mm-hmm. you know what form that took like that probably evolved like deeper into the series that the smoke monster is like this ancient dude um like that probably is not on the map like fairly early on and i'm not even talking about like day one stuff i'm talking like in- you know, do you know that's how hurley refers to the smoke monster yes. off screen when he sees him ancient dude agent dude the dude in black uh i like i think like this is like somewhere like in season one like season two ish territory I, you can imagine that like that's a set piece from the show we got to answer that in the finale um uh the the jack's eye opening somebody's eye probably jack's closing needs to be something mm-hmm. that we see in the very end and then i think like a plane taking off makes a lot of sense it's a plane crash show um and so like seeing that runway as early as season three like i think like that uh that thing that they are building as juliet says for the aliens um i think like it 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 only tracks that uh, at that point in time, I think that they know like a plane is coming to the island at some point, and also it's going to have to leave on this runway at some point. 
Well, I think also not to go all the way back to uh, actually, uh, ironically enough, you know, the last big Nothing Burger episode we talked about in the Glass Ballerina, right, was when they were working on the runway. Maybe it's just the runways are connected with these types of episodes. But like season three also brought in that idea of connection with the outside world and bringing in this plane in through that is almost like a reminder of, yeah, we've dealt with the outside world. Now we're bringing things almost back home for the next season and a half. And I can also imagine from a writer's perspective, it's just a really great setup of almost like a stakes or a plot piece to have hanging in the background of, well, look, if worse comes to worse, they can then try to go for that plane to leave the island. You know, when the sub blows up and all that stuff, the plane becomes increasingly important. That's good to just have, I think, in your reserve. So I think... For many reasons, uh, they, you know, land the plane in a pretty pristine condition, which I think sets up a lot of how it's going to, you know, really function as as a big piece of the endgame story moving forward. So we see Caesar wake up a lot. We've had an accident. Uh, Said is gone. All the Oceanic Six are gone. Frank comes back. Not all the Oceanic Six are gone. Here's Sun. Sun is still here. Uh, They find Ben. Uh, Ben, where is everybody? He says, they're gone. They say, gone where? He goes... How would I know? Uh, yeah, this is going to be a, the big uh, Ben's I to know phase, right? We're just like, <laughs> all this time jumps up, Ben's like, I don't know. Uh, I'm not, he's doing his best Yoda impression. Because uh-huh. <laughs> he, he really doesn't know, right? Like, he thought he knew stuff with the island, but he can't really explain why half their group went back 30 years, why they're in that picture right now, Shining style. Yeah. Who's to say? So it's going to be a, and maybe this also comes into a bit of like, Ben's crisis of faith that's going to culminate in him killing Jacob in the season five finale. But I think Ben's really experiencing firsthand something that's happened on the island that he has no earthly idea why it's happening. Um, All right. So we flash back in time 30 years earlier because Ben might not know, but we know what happened to the others. They have arrived in 1977. Let's listen in. Sound number one. bitch actually did it. Locke said he was going to bring you back. Where is he? John's dead. Dead? How? Doesn't matter. 
He's gone. So what's up with you guys in the old Dharma jumpsuits? You didn't tell him? No, I was waiting for you. Tell us what? We're in the Dharma initiative. They came back to the island? No. We came back. And so did you. It's 1977. Uh, what? And so begins uh, Hurley's uh, confused relationship with time travel, which is uh, a, a remarkable recurring bit throughout season five. Yeah, and I think, you know, he's really going to fully encapsulate it in some like it, Hoth. But here, I think he's still trying to wrap his head around it. The music in this scene, Josh, there's there's something good and something bad about it, in my opinion. And it all comes from, of course, the work of the great Jim Fells. So he brings up that the piano music that plays, the really touching music that plays during the reunion, is the music that played when the Tailies and Sawyer and Jin and Michael reunite with 815 at the end of Collision, which is awesome. Like, great, it's another reunion moment. Sort of the bad side of that is that Jim Fells brings up Michael Giacchino, brilliant, usually puts in at least, like, one new thing or remixes something, some previous theme or motif for every episode of Lost that he does. I think this is one of the first episodes that doesn't do that whatsoever. Apparently, every single piece of music used in this episode is, like, not really remixed or redone or anything it's just more so copying and pasting musical themes and motifs from Mm -hmm. previous episodes which again maybe is a sign that this episode's a bit of an outlier from a creative perspective well i don't know that i uh necessarily think that it's like the worst thing in the world and i think like because i'll always try to justify lost like i think uh one one way that like i can map that onto being like totally fine with this is that like things are Things are not quite exactly as they should be, but this is, like, where everyone belongs with each other right now. Uh, And so there is, like, this sense of, like, classic Lost uh, that, like, for the first time in a while, like, ever since the end of season three, frankly, like, we've been in this, like, really, um, uh, like, unbalanced state uh, where we know that people are leaving the island but it sounds like not everybody has left the island and season four is the journey of like how do they leave and what terrible thing is going to happen that is going to cause this to be bad um someone's going to die a favorite character in john Locke, and then in season five we're in this place where like we're really uncertain of like can things can wrongs be righted like can these people get back like will the people who've been left behind are they going to be okay and while we don't have that answer as of this episode we at least have them back together so for it to like have like a a a classic lost chess pieces episode type of feel i think is why i'm maybe a little more forgiving of it and also i think for that to have like a matched sound i think that that I, I don't think that that bothers me. The sound of this episode is not on my list of things that uh, that I'm not uh, into with this one. Well, I don't disagree. That piano music that, again, is copy and pasted from Collision includes the theme of Boone and Shannon, which is appropriate when we're carting Shannon's dead body around at the end of Collision 
doesn't really make sense here. It feels like the equivalent of like when you copy and paste something from like your drafts into, you know, an email and you accidentally use the wrong person's name or something because you were copying a bunch. Again, it's, it's something small, but it's just like I think it's one of those things that adds up for me as to why this episode feels, I think, a little off is it just feels like to the point where, yes, I understand invoking classical moments, but Jakino's done that for every single episode sure. so far and has been able to like provide little treats and on it. You know, maybe he was like, I got a cold today. <laughs> I can't go in. I can't go in. Can't no, he doesn't have in. It. Does he have no. an Italian accent? No, he doesn't, Mike. Unbelievable. <laughs> oh, please, uh, Mr. Tarleton, I cannot go in yeah. to conduct the orchestra. But he was like faking an illness so that he could uh, continue working on his curling skills. Uh, yes, uh, please, per favore. I've got to go to the rink. I mean, uh, my bed. I have to grease the floor. Uh, yeah, okay, that's fine. I, I think that that. I think uh, if that's a if that's a bone you want to pick with it, that's that's totally that's totally fine. I guess I don't really care that much, but I I, I hear it for sure. It's an interesting fact um, yeah. that this one is like this is just like plop. Here's a classic. You know, uh, <laughs> that's actually, I believe it's the, the, the track, the title of the track is called Plop, Here's a Classic. Yeah, that's a great, <laughs> Plop, Here's a Classic. That's what we do every week with Down the Hatch. Um, <laughs> when we come back, like Jack's exasperated with the idea of time travel. Uh, yeah. And so like, we, we it's, have, like it's like, I just ran my head around getting back to this island in the first place. Uh, now I have to think about time travel, too. Yeah, Jack is very weird in, in this first scene and like in the scene we just saw, like when he goes to Sawyer, like Sawyer. Uh, like just like sort of like the very like rigid yeah, what's, way. What's with the handshake? Remember when Sawyer once upon a time was like, "You're the best friend I have on this island," and now he's like, "All right, I guess we're." Uh, I hugged Hurley and Kate, but I guess we're just on handshake level, huh, Doc? Yeah, well, that was a while ago, and I think since then Sawyer definitely made other friends on the island, and Jack didn't necessarily feel the same way towards Sawyer. So, uh, like, I think Jack has always been like a little weird around Sawyer, either adversarial or weird. Rarely like yeah. super friendly. It's like that one. It was like ping pong. It's the card game, uh, and even then the card game was charged because it was about the guns. Uh, it was really mostly ping pong. Uh, <laughs> Can I also it. mention, uh, like, my lips are cracking at this very moment, a la Jinsu Quad, because, man, I'm thirsting after Sawyer <laughs> at the moment. I just forget wow. how good Josh Holloway looks clean-shaven. Like, he looks so freaking good in the 70s. Not to say that I'm not a fan of the scruff, but I just think, like, Maybe it's also the the Lafleur sort of like attitude. Yeah, it's the right? vibe. It's like it's the way you present yourself more so than your looks in particular. And I feel like the way that Sawyer is, like you said, the way he carries himself this episode is just like incredibly attractive. IMO. It's the vibe. I don't disagree. Um, so he's like trying to like explain everything that's going on, and like Jin is like talking about it, and Hurley's complimenting Jin on his English. Wow, your English is awesome. Um, they find out that uh, it's not just the three of them. There were other people on the plane. Um, Saeed was on the plane, Lupitas was there, and Jack was, and Sun was on the plane, and Jin immediately, like a bat <laughs> out of hell, is like, alright, gotta go and find her, I'm not, like, waiting at all for any further instructions from Sawyer, and Sawyer's like, ah, dip, you know, he's not <laughs> thrilled, he's not thrilled that Jin just, like, kind of leaves. Yeah, exactly, because I think... Like, we should come Jin- up with a plan, like, this is a delicate situation, and Jin's like, no time, nope, gotta it, go find her. It's weird, because... You know, Jin, remember a few episodes back, was like, Locke, tell Sun that I'm dead. I think he was trying to almost, like, bury that part of his life. But I think the chance of her possibly being here is too great not to resist. And like you said, this is going to become a major motivator for these characters for the rest of the season. But I think it shows that, like, as much as Jin tried to 
be emotionless and put that part of his life aside, he really can't at the end of the day, to the point where he's going to have to weather an entire awkward conversation with Redzinski to try to get information out of him about Sun's whereabouts. Yeah, uh, so that's all going to go down. That's the Jin storyline of the episode, basically. Um, meanwhile, uh, so Sawyer's like, all right, I got to figure out how to explain how you guys all got here. Um, so he's like a little bit panicked trying to figure out what to do. Um, Juliet, meanwhile, is going to go and see Miles like, hey, have you seen Sawyer? Because last she saw him, he just like woke up and had to run out. Yeah, I woke up without a little spoon this morning. Uh, so he's gone. So she goes to Miles. Have you seen Sawyer? And on the monitor, they see Sawyer is back at their house. Uh, so Juliet is going to return home, see Sawyer rifling through the closet, and a conversation shall ensue, and we shall listen to it. Sound number two. Hey. You see my baggy sweatshirt home with the bulldog on it? It's in the laundry. James? What's going on? They're back. I'm sorry, who's back? Jack, Hurley, Kate. came back, Juliet. Are they here now? Yeah. They're out to North Point. Wait for me to tell them what to do. How did they get... I'm not sure. They said they were on a plane. I don't understand it any more than you do. find a way to bring them in before somebody else finds them. They screw up everything we got here. There's um, a sub coming in this afternoon. Lost, you gave us the How Jack Got His Tattoos episode. Where is the How Sawyer Got His Bulldog Sweatshirt episode? I do want to know about the Bulldog Sweatshirt. Uh, is there any, believe, uh, any info out there? So it's it's from the University of Georgia. Like, it is like a, a Georgia Bulldog. The only thing I looked into it was that Josh Holloway went to the University of Georgia. So I think it's a shout out to his alma mater. But yeah, we have no clue as to how, A, this University of Georgia sweatshirt got to the island, and B, how it got in the possession of... James Sawyer Ford, who probably doesn't give a lick about the University of Georgia Not unless he's pretending that Jim LaFleur was from there. Yeah, maybe. Like, it's possible that, like, Sawyer, who, like, there are, th- th- like, there are surprising ways in which Sawyer is cultured, right? Like, the things that he knows. He's going to talk about Churchill in this episode yeah. and stuff, you know? Like, no, if- well, that's because that's because he has a uh, time traveling Netflix and watched the first season of The Crown. I think that that's probably correct. I think that, like, you know, uh, if he builds that into his backstory, I don't th- like, and then like, they're like, we, LaFleur, you've been great here. We want to keep you here. By the way, we got you a present. We know that you went to University of Georgia. Here's a sweatshirt. And he's like, oh my God, this is so nice of you guys. Uh, or it's just like super comfy. Like somebody just like, ha- like they hooked him up with some clothes because they all stick, they all stuck around. Yeah. You know what it is? It's the lost and found. It's like Sawyer. Yeah. Because remember, they came the lost, to the. Ooh, and found. Ooh, exactly. But because remember, like when the Left Behinders went into the 70s, they had nothing 
but the clothes on their backs. So, like, I would not be surprised if they say, hey, you know, come in and know me better, man. Please look through our lost and found for some items. And Slurry just happened to find this baggy-ass sweatshirt that someone left behind that's, I mean, it's going to fit Hurley, right? So, like, it's it's clearly not Sawyer-specific size. I could very much see him sort of walking around with it, almost like Hurley with the I heart my Shih Tzu, yeah. uh, or I Shih Tzu my Shih Tzu shirt. And then he just sort of walked around with it for a while. And so it has, like, a sentimental value of back in the day. Yeah, uh, I... um. I would uh I would love to know more about the the sweatshirt. Alas, Lost runs out of time to to give us uh the This content is why we, we need crave. that radio show, Josh. Yes, I agree. Um so there's so there's that. It's just I I like hearing like a scene between Sawyer and Juliet, you know, for the first time in a minute. Uh like, you know, like I think like now that they're in this in this way is what I mean. Like now that like they're coupled up we're not like sort of out of we're out of like the shock of Lafleur. I think being able to like check in on them as a couple, especially as like to some extent, Mike, this is like the bubble bursting, right? Yeah, you and know? I mean, well, that's what they're going to—they're going to try to allude to that at the end of the episode too, right? Which is another reason why I'm not a giant fan of this episode. It's because we sort of separated the love quadrangle, and now we're bringing things we're back. back together for for a short portion of time. I like—I really like Elizabeth Mitchell's acting in this scene. Like, I love. Her reaction, because we got the glasses gift from Sawyer at the end of LaFleur, but I love reacting to Juliet's almost like shell shock, stunned, like beyond words of just Sawyer telling her they're back. They're back. So, so matter of fact. And she also like, again, proving why she is such an awesome person and character and leader immediately jumps into gear, right? Helping Sawyer out, saying, oh, this is the sub-manifest. We're certainly going to get into it, I think, in another scene of how she's going to essentially help get everyone smuggled into becoming Dharma members. So it's not only the fact that she has this very momentous emotional reaction to the fact that these people are actually coming back after probably giving up hope after three years. She was not certainly sitting up in bed all night like Sawyer thinking about Jack, but you can certainly imagine there was a lot of emotional detachment over the course of a few years, and for her to find that out as well is not a, not, not a big deal. No, not at all. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. We check in with Jin. He's going to roll up to what's going to become at least the flame station as Rosinski is designing the swan. We finally meet Rosinski here. Yes, uh, he of uh, the stain. He is a person now. Uh, and this person is much like the stains that get produced from this body part, an a-hole. He's awful. Um, 
played by Eric Lang, who I want to like give him props because I think Eric Lang plays the hell out of Rosinski as like, I need to come in here and just be somebody that everybody can agree to hate. I think is sort of like the mission for the actor with this character, considering like the character's arc through the season. Um, like, I need to make this character so awful that when you uh, connect the fact that this is the dude who blew his brains out in the Swan Station, you're not going to feel bad about it. Uh, like, that's like the level of like douchebaggery I need to convey in this character he does it very 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 effectively almost too effectively i hate rosinski so much he's just such an annoying dude well i mean so to be fair in this scene Jin does sort of just like intrude on in his place of work and like insist going through his his own log files and i'm sure that rosinski himself is incredibly particular about the way he maintains his work right like one screen always has to have the muppet show on uh i've got i'd be the has to be the one to check the files that being said he absolutely is that person who if you were working with him on a team project in college like he'd be the worst teammate right like he'd monopolize yes. all the work he'd refuse to let you participate which i guess maybe from a certain perspective he'd be the best person to work on a group project with because i do not think Rodzinski necessarily plays well with others and maybe that's why he creates a station that's only made he doesn't by play two well with hostels time. either yeah very true so yeah because Rodzinski, you know jin comes in here obviously asking about uh, the play and Rinsky regards him like uh, I'd obviously know about it and then once Jin forces him up against the wall he's like okay fine but he's given a hell of an attitude to Jin about you know uh, if you yes, think a again, plane Jin- landed on our island I would just be here building my models Maybe. He's very invested in this model, right? He he's going to talk it. later about how, uh, you know, the hostiles saw the secret plans for my toothpick geodesic dome. Therefore, they know about everything. Yeah. It's like, he saw everything. He saw the toothpick, the toothpick swan station. He's going to report back. Report back what? That you're making a model, you dope? Like, what's your yeah. deal? I think, uh, yeah, well, I think it's, you know, he's been given this big project. Uh, and so I think he, he has a, definitely a sense of importance about himself. And look, the swan is going to become incredibly important but i think he takes things very very seriously it also it this whole swan thing is also one of my like very very small sticking points but a sticking point all the same with this dharmaville stuff which is like there are oftentimes references to the swan when it's not really a thing yet like even the bottle of wine that juliet had for sawyer has a swan logo on it during ben's orientation video pierre chang has a swan logo when like isn't this supposed to be like a deeply kept secret within Dharmaville or is it just everyone so loose lipped around here? I think they're pretty loose lipped. They're pretty like, whatever, man, you know, uh, their security ultimately, I think is, uh, if not quite <laughs> lax, then leave something to be desired for sure. Um, anyway, so Jin and Rosinski are kind of getting into it in the modern day. Rajinsky. Rajinsky. On the modern day, we're, we're with Sun. We're on Hydra. There's going to be, like, the big calling of the group together. Alana's going to come up to Sun and, like, express some sympathy. Like, did you lose somebody? I see you looking around. I thought maybe you lost someone. Um, Alana is going to lose Sun momentarily. Like, Sun is going to break away from the group for the duration uh, pretty soon from now. Alana, like, you're here, like, to, like protect like jacob and the candidates and stuff and like you're just gonna totally lose track of sun if it wasn't for the fact that rosinski was in this episode i would have to give alana a demerit here i feel like she Mm. has like she has like just a couple of things that she's got to do losing track of sun after she's lost track of all of the other oceanic six members is a really really bad look for this character i feel like 
Unless, is this just yet another confirmation that Jin is the Kwan candidate and not Sun? Yeah, and She's just be. like, well, her name wasn't on the wall. Yeah. Uh, I, I have umbrage more so with another Ajira person here. But one thing uh, that I looked up, so... Again, these poor Ajira people just on a plane and now they're they're stranded on an island. Apparently, one of these people is Jorge Garcia's real life girlfriend at the time. That's awesome. That's fun. Yeah, so she doesn't really get anything to do. I think she's one of the people laying down on the ground with well, like she an the ice pack on her head. He did his podcast with Geronimo Jack's beard, I believe is yeah, what it was called. Maybe I wanna say so. Bethany James Lee. Uh Bethany James Lee Shady is the is the name of the actress. Yes, so I can't exactly correct. remember. But, yes. But, but yeah, so she's, uh, that's her. right now though. She playing is, she's playing someone who is sort of like flat on her ass and just having to listen to Frank and Caesar have a little bit of a, a peeing contest. Yeah. Oh, gross. Uh, <laughs> weird um okay that must have happened in a uh, you must be watching lost in a different medium than oh yeah than i'm I sorry am. i did that they it showed me that scene after i looked up a uh, lube olympic floor <laughs> they showed me to that secret scene it's called curling you idiot unbelievable <laughs> is, that, is that how google responded like you, you it's dummy curling, it's curling you moron um so anyway so they're like making this big speech everybody stick together hunker down um uh they don't know much about this island they're on hydra caesar's like there's a building with animal cages we could stay in the animal cage maybe get some fish biscuits um sun sees ben walking off into the woods she's going to follow him and he's gonna have this moment like why are you following me and she's like ah God, you're so yeah, he does that weird thing, right? This happens sometimes in Lost, right? Uh, not even. I think this happens with Locke a couple times. Of like, I'm going to follow a character. I lost that character. That character appears right behind me and says, "Why are you following me?" Yeah, uh, and so he says, "I'm going back to our island. You wanna come?" Uh, so that's the start of the Sun and uh, really the Sun story in in this episode because yeah, Ben's so, only yeah, so Sun and Sun and Ben's relationship is short lived here. I gotta say, Ben's. I don't know. Maybe again, it, it's him trying to sort of like compartmentalize everything that's happened bell ben is weird this episode more so than normal yeah well he's just trying to get back he's trying to get back to the island so he can find the smoke monster so he can be judged is sort of like his move right now um he's not aware of the walking talking john locke ghost that's not something because that uh, hasn't happened yet technically speaking for him um so yeah i think like that's what he's after i think like he's really back on the island with one thing in mind being here and being forgiven so that he can remain here uh and he is going to just like be sort of like steadfastly on on that but it's going to cause him to drop his guard in some critical ways uh we'll get into that in a little bit let's go to sound three let's go to the barracks but let's do it in 1977 um this is a this is a wild scene that is like kind of just like uh thrown out there that i feel like we should listen in on sound number three I'm sorry, I didn't mean to wake you. Mm, no, it's fine. I just came to get the sub manifest. <sighs> Obviously, I don't want you working today. Thank you. Full load? Almost. Two of the recruits dropped out in the 11th hour. They didn't want to take the sedative for the trip. <laughs> Can you tell PR for me? Hi. Hi. Oh, hello, little one. Hi. 
Have you and Horace decided on a name? Yeah, we have. We're gonna name him Ethan. So, when are you and Jim gonna have one of these? I don't know. Timing's gotta be right. I got to give major ups to Juliet here, having the best poker face I think I've ever seen in response to, you know, big reveal. Saeed is usually very good at this as well, but he's actually going to do a pretty bad job this episode of, like, looking completely bewildered at things when he's brought into a situation. But Juliet finds out that she helped deliver Ethan Rom into the world and is just like, okay, digesting that fact, internally screaming, but being very, you know, uh, very nice on the outside. I think it's even less, like, um, like... I don't know that she, I, I don't really know. Does she hate Ethan? Like, does she feel towards Ethan the way that everybody else feels? He's certainly part of the contingent that recruits her to the island. Um, we see him like working on her, like, uh, her house, right? Mm-hmm, in, uh, mm-hmm. the season three premiere. Um, like he could, he's like a little cold to her in like the operating room that one time. But other than that, I don't know that we have like a strong sense. So I think it's like even less that like, she's like, I delivered this monster into the world and more like the two pronged. Whoa, that's a nice reminder that time travels wild as hell. And two, like this man helps bring me here. It's a wild thing, right? That especially... You know, it's. I don't think it's coincidental that they're talking about the sedatives, too, here, right? Like, let's remember, right. Juliet herself was sitting with Ethan and Richard Alpert when she gulped down that OJ. Yes. And they're talking and about the submarine, sedative. too, and people coming from the submarine. So, like, it is all connecting. Uh, it's all, like, very circular here. Yeah, I will also say... Dharma, what the hell is your parental leave policy? Evidently, zero, because for all intents and purposes, it seems like this is the day after Amy had her baby and she's back to work. Not terribly long afterwards, at least. I mean, like, we really have, like, you know, who knows when, when this happened. This could have been, like, days no, I, I thought later. I thought the dialogue said that she had a baby yesterday. Is I that what it says? And she's just, like, chilling in the hammock and everything's, like, Apparently, Wow. Yeah, I seem to recall that's what Pierre Chang was saying, right? When he says, like, oh, I can't believe this happened. You know, a woman would usually do this, but she had her baby yesterday. If wow. so, the timeline's Amazing. wild. That is wild. That's great. That's uh, <laughs> so funny. Um, all right, so the time's not right. Uh, sadly, it never shall be, except in a sideways universe uh, with a different guy. Um, back at, like, the, the pickup point, the lookout point, Jack's with Kate. Uh, and they were, they're kind of like talking about, uh, everything that went down with how did they get here? Uh, like how did, how were 30 years in the past? This is so wild. That woman that you spoke to, did she tell you that you were going to travel through time 30 years? Like, no, she left that part out. Uh, it's pretty funny line. Yeah. And I really like this idea that, you know, the, the interesting thing about the whole Oceanic Six is how much all of this is out of the frying pan and into the fire, Right, where they've lived for three years having to perpetuate a lie. Now they have to do it again. Uh, here it's this idea of, okay, they had this really tight window where they were sort of scrambling to get on the plane in time. Now they have another tight window of having to, you know, get thrown into this orientation bunch. It, it really does seem like this idea of, and maybe this is also sort of the internal struggle that Jack is going through is, okay, you know, once I thought I'd come back to the island, everything would be solved. It's pretty evident at this point that it's like, you know, same shit, different day or yeah. different time. Yeah. Uh, different time travel. Uh, Sawyer shows up. He's got all the stuff. You got to pretend like you're on the sub. 
They're like, what about the plane? If there's a plane, Jin's going to find it. Uh, Sawyer tells uh, tells them that uh, people in the submarine, they get knocked out before they come to the island. No one's going to know that you weren't on the sub. You're going to be fine. If you trust me, you will be fine. He says this a couple of times in this episode. Yeah. he's. I mean, that's Sawyer's really big thing is like, I'm on the inside. I know what's happening. You're just going to have to trust me. He and- tells this to, to Jack at the end of the episode. He like the words that he says, are like, let me do what I do. You know, exactly. And then and that's, you know, it's, it's a if you're talking you're in about my wheelhouse invo- right now, this is my thing. Yeah, this is my playroom right now. And I think if you're invoking classic lost, it's a really interesting callback in a number of ways, because it very much is the reversal of like, you know, Jack's leadership position and Sawyer consistently being a thorn in his side of Jack essentially espousing this idea of I know what I'm doing. Let me do what I do. Sawyer's trying to, to you know, put the same shoes on here, uh, except he was the one that was previously in that more poking role of, of going out and doing his own thing. It really does show just the transformation that this guy has undergone in three years. Has to be a bit of a shell shock. As selfless as Sawyer was in jumping out of that helicopter, he really has, I wouldn't say become a different person, but I think certainly highlighted points of his personality more in these past three years. And so I do think a lot of the characters' attitudes this episode, on behalf of Jack specifically, come from the fact that he is dealing with, in his opinion, a very different Sawyer than who he left from the island three years ago. Mm-hmm. I think that that is very accurate. Um, at the flame station, Rosinski notices that somebody trips a motion sensor, so there's a hostile... And so Jin's off again! <laughs> yeah, he's just like like a bat out of hell again. Rosinski's like, what are you doing? Uh, Jin goes through the jungle, and we get another uh, Wanda-esque stop right there! Uh, Jin is going to spot Saeed, uh, and uh, Jin wants to know, where's son? It's so good to see you, but where's my wife? So it's like, I have no idea. And as soon as Rosinski shows up, Jin can't keep up the illusion anymore. He holds up the gun at Saeed. Sit down. Say another word and you're dead. Uh, yeah. Jin, awesome job from Jin. I mean, I think this is a little bit like Jin invoking his time under Paik, right? Like, wasn't his job to be a presenting thug, but someone who was obviously less bloodthirsty than his compatriots? I think Jin's able to sort of bring up that thug persona a bit more here, right? And being demanding. And I love that he instantly turns that switch on as soon as it happens, as opposed to, as I mentioned before, Saeed, who just looks completely flummoxed at everything that's happened the past two minutes. Yeah. And like among them being like, Saeed's like, wow, Jin, you much like her, it's like, your English is awesome, dude. Like, <laughs> it's perfect. It's great. Um, Hurley's going to have some questions about time travel with Sawyer. Uh, he's like, you know, these guys get killed, right? Aren't you going to warn them? Uh, I think it's Saeed, uh, Saeed. It's Sawyer who says, I'm not here to play Nostradamus. Uh, yeah. And he basically says, uh, well, you know, Faraday's uh, had some interesting things to say about what we could have done. Of course, he's gone right now and we'll be for several episodes. We won't see him screen. again until it's basically too late. Um they go to like this big party. Namaste. It's the big banner. Everybody is showing up and getting recruited into the Dharma Initiative. And Sawyer's like, all right, everybody out of the van. Come on, kids. Uh, and he puts the, the lays on everybody. Uh, I gotta say, I don't know. Maybe I'm just thirsting after so, so much man meat this episode. Uh, Matthew Fox pulls off that polo. 
in my opinion. Like, it looks real good on him. Jack looks great for, I think, basically the rest of the season, uh, rest he, of the series. Matthew Fox really acclimates well to, to 70s wear. I completely agree. Uh, and then also, I think it's like, uh, it's the hair. Uh, have we yeah. talked about this? I know we've talked about it in the in the poster recaps patron Discord. We've definitely talked li- about Jack's, little bit. like, uh, his hair from this point forward yeah, in the we, show. We, 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 I think we talked about it a bit in 316. We love side part Jack. Side yeah. part Jack over his head jack any day this point in season five through the end of the show like his hair is just on fleek he looks dope jack looks great uh looking fantastic yeah. here and so he had he, i mean given his hairstyle he landed in the complete right era i would say hurley too right yeah because you look at look like great. Every, yeah, everyone's like shoulder length hair hurley really fits in i also love the scene where hurley's freaking out like what are they what are they gonna do if they ask me who the president is and so just replies it's not a damn game show hugo so, so this is especially hysterical if you like remember things that happen later in season five so he goes what if i don't know who the president is in 1977 it's not a damn game show hugo um hurley is going to get busted later on in the incident when pierre chang like follows them up the hill and he's like is it true that you guys are from the future? And Hurley's like, don't be ridiculous, man. And Pierre Chang goes, who's the president? Oh, and Hurley, right. And Hurley goes, okay, we're, okay, we're from, from the, the future. future. Yes, I forgot about that. <laughs> so, like, this is a really great setup for an incredible punchline down the line. Uh, oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, that yeah. Sawyer essentially tells him, don't worry, it'll never be a problem. Yeah, and, and then it ends up being Chang a problem. Says, who's the president? <laughs> It goes, all right, we're from the future. Uh, really, really, really funny. Um, Miles shows up. He's surprised at seeing everybody. He's like, who are these people? What did you do and how did this happen? Um, but, like, Sawyer's, like, able to, like, kind of, like, immediately, like, redirect the energy by saying, um, uh, by, by uh, Miles, like, telling him there's this 14J at the flame, uh, or it's Jin, yeah. rather, is calling in. There's a 14J at the flame. <laughs> J, J for Jin. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, we've heard this code before, right? Like, this is all the way back from The Shape of Things to Come when Alex trips the alarm yep. at the sonic fence and alerts Ben by putting code 14J. So, again, this is another one of, like, oh, yeah, I guess it had sort of an origin back then. But, you know, obviously, back in those days, it was a very different group has who has yet to be genocided and end up hanging out in a pit right uh so he tells him it's saeed uh he's alone there's no one else with him um but sawyer is gonna have to deal with that um modern day 2007 on the island ben and son in the jungle uh there's like uh three outriggers that they're gonna go and find uh he doesn't know where Jin is but he would start looking at the main island um frank comes along he's like spying on them he's been like watching from a distance he shows up it's like son what are you doing uh she says ben knows where there's a boat i'm gonna go back with him and he says you can't trust this guy and she goes i have to trust him uh which leads us into this following scene that i'd I'd like to listen to this portion of the scene let's call it sound number four son i want you to think about this okay this guy is dangerous Son, that boat I came here on, it was filled with commandos whose only mission was to get him. And how'd that work out for everyone? Don't do it. Why don't you come with us? I can't. I got a group of people I got to look after. That's right, Frank. A captain's first responsibility is to his passengers. But I have people I have to take care of, too. There's a small dock about a half mile due south across the water. It leads directly to a town where I used to live. There are resources there. So if anyone can help you and the rest of the plane get out of here safely. (laughs) 
thought you trusted this guy. I lied. Sun hits Ben with a freaking oar. Yeah, it's oar. Um, should we place this in the Benjamin Linus beatdown counter? Yes. Mike? We, so this is an outright beatdown, right? We still have yet. We still have a, a placeholder for Ben mysteriously being beat up in three one six. Yeah, I'm removing the full extent that. of the beatdown. I yeah. think I think we've got to place it here. Um, where do we want to put it? We want to put it at the very end. No, I because I feel like so. Let's let's m- work our way up here. So. I think it's better than Sawyer punches Ben in the mouth at the end of Every Man for Himself. I think that that's probably true. I think it is better than, because I think it's more climactic and more of a punch, quite literally, than Sawyer beating up Ben uh, when he shoots Charlotte and confirmed dead. I think that that's uh, also probably true. I, I do think, to that point, I think it's better than, uh, yeah, I think it's better than Russo punching Ben in the beginning of the beginning of the end. Yeah. I feel like that's that's cathartic. I think the I next spot we've got is Locke beating up Ben with a crutch in two for the road. This is not as good as that. So I would I would no. say that this is like uh, overall. Then this is uh, the ninth best Benjamin Linus beatdown is where I yeah. would put this at the moment. It would it would and it would definitely be below at least Schrodinger's shelf. And I, I agree because I'm remembering correctly. That's when it's been revealed that Ben isn't Henry Gale, right? And Locke takes out his aggression on Ben. Yeah. So he like well, it's not even yeah. I think Schrodinger's shelf that happens and then like. Uh, Locke is like uh, Ben is like trying to kill Anna Lucia and then Locke just like knocks him out with a crutch yeah I think I think crutch over or any day especially but given they I should think be grouped the, uh, together for sure yeah I think anything wielded uh, objects that are wielded by people blunt objects to knock out Benjamin Linus should be in a category in and of itself but yeah this is I guess beating number 12 at this moment yes overall uh, the the list as it stands for the Benjamin Linus beatdown counter uh, from from uh, back to front Sawyer punching Ben in the mouth and every man for himself when he finds out he wasn't actually having uh, the pacemaker issue uh, in 11 it's Sawyer beating Ben up again uh, for the second time and confirmed dead. Um, in uh, 10th, it's Russo punching Ben again in the beginning of the end. Then we'll put in 9th, Sun hitting Ben with an oar, which is very satisfying here in Namaste. In 8th, it's Locke beating up Ben with a crutch. In 7, it's the shelf. Did the shelf hit Ben or did Ben hit the shelf? We don't know. Um, in 6th, it's the surgery gone wrong. In fifth, <laughs> right, the, the contentious, is it a beatdown if we cut your artery? Yeah, uh, which we, cut, we allowed it, but it's still like mid-pack uh fifth it's sawyer beating up ben and confirmed dead it's a pretty aggressive beat down in fourth it's russo elbowing ben in through the looking glass it is a long time coming in third right, so that's the one where he's like jack don't me don't do this and she just elbows him in the face in third it's saeed beating up ben in the hatch in one of them in second it's danielle shooting benjamin linus with a harpoon and in first still not beaten probably never will be it is jack beating up ben in through the looking glass when he thinks that he has ordered the deaths of so many characters now the big question is not to put the cart before the horse or the donkey wheel is saeed shooting baby ben linus a benjamin linus beatdown um yes for sure 100 all right so so we'll definitely get we'll get into it either at the end of next week or the beginning of the week after that has to be has to be you gotta count it Got yeah, listen, if, if we counted surgery as a beatdown, then yeah, I guess we have to count being shot as I a beatdown. I don't think it can be anything other than a valid pick uh, for the Benjamin Linus beatdown. Um, I like this scene. I think it's just fun to watch Sun just get one over on Benjamin Linus because she's like, I'm not going to kill this guy, but I am for sure going to knock him out. Like, she's, like yeah. she was going to kill him. That was like kind of her idea, right? right. Uh, and now she's like maybe at a point where like, 
she's been shaken out of like that like pit of despair that she found herself in where she was so low that she was willing to kill this man especially if Jin is alive uh like i think that like for her like probably like takes murder off the table but it is going to be totally within bounds for her to just like smack this man with an oar in the back of the head and be very satisfied doing it well i think it's her almost taking a page out of his book of like oh he's useful to me yes right like I would not be surprised if I see your point, but I would not be surprised if she still had murder in her mind, if she's still a little bit of that dark sun, uh, that sunset, if you will. But I, I do think at this point, she's like, well, I have to use him for something. He knows the island. Let me manipulate him for as much as I can. And to that point, I mean, Ben is pretty damn smug in this scene, yes. right? He has the whole, how did that work out for everyone? When Frank asks Sun why she can trust ben ben gives like the worst look a look that literally says i cannot be trusted so i'm very glad that ben gets hoisted by his own petard here in the form of an oar to the back of the head um back in the 70s there's a pierre chang orientation video uh it's like kind of slight i don't know was there anything that really stood out to you from the from the orientation video here i'm trying to remember if this is the same one that ben watched in the man behind the curtain i can't remember because i do remember it's very similar dialogue uh we have a guy riding a bike behind pierre chang very like college brochure we have fun here in the dharma initiative don't we but yeah i mean we're gonna see the man himself in quite a little bit so i think they just also wanted to remind us of who Pierre Cheng was. It's been a while since the season five premiere, even longer since we've seen a film of his. So it's a good sort of like establisher of how big of a figure he is. Though I think I'm still a little confused as to what role he plays in all this. I think so. Jack sitting across from Pierre Chang, like this has to be the moment um, where he's like, I guess I'm in the 1970s. Uh, like, you know, he's face to face with the guy from the orientation video. And he's like in a place where he's readier to accept that this Island is special uh but like yeah i think at this point it's like all right uh, i guess this is it this is the dharma days yeah it's like marty mcfly seeing you know the crispin glover version of his dad right of like oh yeah okay i guess i really did travel through time uh you know now i can now the ronald reagan the actor thing all makes sense i'm sitting with the guy who was in the orientation video who still has two arms so something's happening here, uh, and I guess now I'm officially part of the 70s. I guess this is a new normal for me. Welcome back, Jack. Yeah, uh, so Jack is assigned to be a workman, a uh, janitorial work based on his aptitude test. Oh, uh, uh, I love this. Listen, so, beggars yes, can't be choosers right now. Well, this is interesting because they said based on your aptitude test, right? And obviously we know that they don't have files. Chang's going to say, oh, it's probably some ignoramus on the mainland who did this. So is it that like Sawyer and Juliet just slipped a random aptitude test in? Is this uh their their subtle digs at Jack by making him a custodian? They no, I think that they just like they probably just like changed the names on stuff and that like this part of the vetting is probably gonna be yada yada through really quickly. Uh but like this is like I don't know, like uh this is like uh Greg Shepard, not Jack Shepard's aptitude test, you know? Like it's just like random <laughs> Joe Schmo over here. Yeah, they probably just took, like, the name label and put it over those three people that skipped out, right? Like, oh, poor Jack just happened to have the uniform of the guy who was a workman before him. All right, so here comes Phil, who Phil has been on the show already a little bit up to this point. Phil is going to be a competitor. April was pointing this out to you and me, Mike, that we're going to have a field day with Phil and Rosinski as far as our LVPs are concerned moving forward. Um, I think he's not awful awful in this one yet no but he's he's, do- he's, he's he's just doing his job this episode yeah but he is like a total trash bag and that will come to uh to the surface before too too long but here he's going to come up to kate and just be like so you're not on the list 
it's not great that you're not on the list. Uh, and Juliet is going to be the one who like steps in and is like, no, here's the new list. It's from Amy, some last minute additions. Uh, yeah. and so Phil lets it go. And then there is this uncomfortable, like, hi, I'm Juliet. She goes, hi, I'm Kate. She goes, cool. Welcome to the island. We have to like, you know, keep up illusions here. Uh, yeah. And no, it's, it's also weird because again, uh, you know, the, the, the sort of like awkward love quadrangle stuff is stoked a little bit here of like now Juliet and Kate are competing for the same guy, but it's Sawyer instead of Jack. And they right. never really saw eye to eye. Though if you look on a uh, lost on location for this, Evangeline Lily and Elizabeth Mitchell are such good friends. Uh, and so like they love being in scenes with each other. There were a couple things I noticed from this. First, can I go back to Phil for a second? Cause I looked this up on Lostpedia and my mind was blown. Phil in season five appears in more episodes than desmond or daniel faraday that tracks that makes sense to me it makes sense but it's just wild to think yep. about right like he's these a, are two main he's two a main, main character this season yeah i mean like he's he's uh he's he's uh not quite brzezinski level of adversary but he's not terribly far behind he's sort of like he like falls very firmly in line with uh with brzezinski the deeper into like the sort of like the almost like the the military coup that occurs within the Dharma Initiative. Like, Phil's very on board with it. Yeah, I think it's just weird to think about because, especially Daniel Faraday, right? Like, this very much feels like his season, his playground. And while it just speaks to the significant portion of time he's going to be gone, and also the episodes in the middle, right, that don't necessarily focus on the left-behinders, the math ends up working out this way. Second thing, did, did you notice the fly in this scene? No. There was a there is a fly buzzing <laughs> fly. around as yeah as Phil and and Kate are talking so much so that like you could it was picked up in the closed captioning like the sound picked up the fly buzzing maybe it's just my own waning attention span but I just couldn't help but notice that freaking fly flying around that's hysterical um, Mike I think we have to put we we have the Kate alias counter uh, mm. ranking, oh it's been a while we gotta dust that one off it's been a while we're ranking all of kate's aliases here and it's been a very long time since we've had another kate alias to yeah, throw on the since, list not since i do um so since season three but with that being said like she's a fake kate austin here you know she's uh, yeah. undercover here as someone from the 1970s i think we we have to put this kate on the list <sighs> Yeah, uh, let me also clarify, sorry, it's Left Behind was the last one, because she was Lucy, let's remember. Right. The question is, do we do it now, or do we wait until we, like, see Kate in the motor pool and, like, get to know a bit more about Kate Austin, the Dharma recruit? Because I don't remember too much about her. We could if we want to, but I'm I'm happy to do it now, because I think it's relatively easy that you just put it in her in last place. Cause she, like, Even definitely- behind Joan Hart, the blonde motel lady? Yeah, I think so. I think I maybe not, maybe not behind her, but mm, we can wait. You should see a little more, I guess. I think is is fair. I think that there's an argument because like all she has to do is keep her head down, and uh, like I'm, I I love what she does for Baby Ben. I think it's like very pure hearted. I think it's great. Uh, but then she like lays it on real thick with Roger Workman. Uh, mm-hmm. and uh, attracts unwanted attention to all of these people who really should be keeping their noses clean and not getting in so much danger. Uh, so I would probably advocate for her being the worst, but like 
why don't why don't we see where it goes? This is a little con- yeah. it's a little contrary because I love Kate so much in season five, and yet I think simultaneously she gets them into some undue danger. Uh, the I mean, that's also Kate Austin to a T, right? Like, very fun character, but there are moments where, like, she really overextends herself and get, puts her neck on the line. Just See, a I'm smidge. Gonna, I'm, I'm fine putting a, a pin in it for now until I get to see more of who Kate Austin, alias Kate Austin, is like in the 1970s. All right. Well, let's just keep it on the radar. Um, all right, so Sawyer's going to go to Rosinski. They find out uh, he's informed about Saeed as a spy. Uh, this is where Rosinski's like, he saw my models. He saw them. He's a spy. We got to shoot this dude. We can end this right now. And Sawyer's like, no, I'm not just going to shoot this guy. You got to talk yeah. to him, especially because he's my friend. I really like the line that Sawyer has when interrogating of, you know, listen carefully to what I got to say. And if you do that, you'll be fine. It's 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 a, a well, I think we'll get into it. Right. That's sound number five. But it'll it'll be uh, it'll be a really fun double talk thing between two characters that have been, you know, in various positions of tortury and torturer over the course of the series. It's a big part of what I like about this portion. Between this and He's Are You, I think that the the relationship between Sawyer and Saeed and the way that it's a mirror image of some of the earlier stuff in the show, I think it's I think it's really excellent. Let's, you know, at that, let's just, like, listen in. So Sawyer goes into, like, the armoire uh, where <laughs> Saeed is being held in this place where he once busted another. Uh, yep. Let's not forget. Um, Sawyer's going to drag him out and he's going to interrogate Saeed in front of everybody, but it really is this double speak. Let's listen in sound number five. My name's Lafleur. I'm head of security. I want you to listen real carefully to what I got to say. And if you do that, you'll be fine. Understand? All right, let's start simple. Identify yourself as a hostile. The terms of the truce say you got to identify yourself as a hostile or we got the right to shoot you. We do not refer to ourselves as hostile, but yes, I am one of them. All right, good. Then we can proceed like a couple of gentlemen. Let's go. Taking him back to the barracks. Look, you're taking him in and I'm coming with you. This is a horrible mistake. I'm going to talk directly to Horace about this. Fine. Talk away. Because he's still really hungover. Yeah. And now would be a good time to bother him. Brzezinski, what a, like a little snoot. Like, I'm going to talk. To, I'll tell Horace. Yeah, he's, he's like Karening a little bit here, right? Like, yeah. I demand to speak to your manager. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to tell dad. <laughs> Stupid exactly. Brzezinski. This yeah. guy saw my toys. I'm telling dad. So, I mean, again, uh, true to what, you know, Saeed does, he once he sort of gets his wits about him, he's like, okay, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to go along with what you're saying right now uh, and just sort of agree to the fact that I am a hostile because I'm in safe hands, which, again, is really fun given how much, you know, these two were in safe slash unsafe yeah. hands, uh, you know, over the course of really that that first stretch of season one, right? Really, it's the confidence man through when Saeed comes back. Yes. Uh, so it's fun. I like that piece of this. I think that that's good. Uh, I think that it, it, it tracks well for me that um, 
uh, that we're going to embark on it. Cause it is like this, this like place of growth for Sawyer and like for him to like now be in this like interrogation position, where like the tables have fully turned. He could do his worst to Saeed. He's really going to try and help him out as best as he can. And sometimes it's not going to be wonderful. Sometimes like it is going to require some measure, if not of physical pain, then uh, existential and emotional pain, I mm-hmm. think is definitely a thing that's going to go down here. Uh, but yeah, like I just, I think it is, Sawyer's just very impressive in this episode. Sawyer's very impressive during this whole stretch of time. Well, let's remember also, this is a bit of a culmination of their own relationship that started even back in season one, when Sawyer goes to visit Saeed and talks about, I kept your signal fire burning. You know, it, it seems like even since the stuff with Confidence Man, that Sawyer was maybe warming up to him a bit. They weren't exactly friendly, nor Tom friendly, but I think they were certainly seeing more eye to eye. We saw, certainly see that a lot in, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, the episode where Juliet really gets sort of like folded back into uh, the camp in season three. Oh, That's yeah, when the- uh, one of us. One of us, yes. I kept calling it the other woman for some reason. That's, no, that's them working four. together on the mission. They're in. They're on the mole patrol. So I think this is like a slow rolling rock that has like gathered a good amount of moss here as well, helped by the fact that, as we mentioned before, Sawyer knows what he's doing in this moment. And while it's going to be a rocky road, he does have Saeed's best intentions at heart here. Yeah. Um, all right. Back 2007 spooky barracks. So uh, why does Frank end up going with Sun here? We don't we didn't really talk about this, but it, are we to assume it's just that like Frank has essentially been deposed from leadership because of Caesar and so he's like I've got nothing else to do, I might as well go with Sun? Yeah, I think like you know, he doesn't want her to go alone. Uh like I do think like you know, they're they're friends. You know, they spent that week together at the very That's least. That's true, yeah. You know, uh like he feels like, you know, protective. He doesn't want things to go poorly for her, so he wants to stick around. You know, he's definitely concerned about the people, but he is I think uh just as concerned, if not more concerned with the person he knows. Um and I think probably there's got to be a piece of him too that is like you know, this was a guy who was like a conspiracy theorist, right? So, like, there has to be some measure of him that's believing, like, okay, uh, why am I back here? You know? Yeah. Um, so, I think, like, some measure of allure for him here. And the reason he's back here, of course, is like, oh, well, we've got to have someone fly them off the island at the end of the show. Uh, and Jack but is no, the but, only but, other pilot, yeah, but pilot. he has to die. So I made a know. leaf plane and everything. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, I think I think that, that that is a piece of this. But they go into the barracks. It is cool. Spooky barracks. Spooky barracks is dope. I like spooky barracks. Spooky barracks is fun. Because let's remember that the last time we saw the barracks, it was torn apart by yes. the mercs as well as the monsters. So, yes. there's like... A lot of detritus. The monster is also still lurking around, uh, not only in monster form, but in corporeal form, in the form of Christian Shepherd as yes. well. This is prior to his little jaunt across the sea to go hang out on Hydra Island for an extended right. period of time. Yes. Uh, but yeah, I, I really like the vibe that gets brought here. I, I can't remember how much time we end up spending here for the rest of the season. But again, to, to echo what I said before, I just like how specifically they invoke the same location in two distinctly different time periods. I think they do a really good job with the set design here. And I think, you know, this is where we are touching on some of the stuff that like season six is divisive. We will see if we have like differing feelings on it. Now, all this time later, uh, my estimation uh, certainly improved the last time I did a lost rewatch. Is it going to be different doing this on like the weekly? We'll find out. Um, but I, I think that, uh, 
I I feel like one of the coolest things about it is the way that like the island just like looks so haggard and it's like mm-hmm. it's like the visual expression of the island really nicely reflects the like the level of danger that it's facing like the existential crisis of the island and therefore like the high stakes facing the rest of the world if we let this island fall apart evil is unleashed like that idea at least even if the execution is a little sloppy um i think the idea is really cool and i think that they do a good job of like literalizing it with just like the state of decay whether it's like the ravaged survivor's beach with uh the ajira detritus uh or now here with the barracks just being totally destroyed um i think that it's it's a it's an aspect of like the environment of the show of just like how far we've come and how far we have fallen and what we have to do to like build ourselves back up I think that that's fun stuff. I think the the spooky barracks is like a great window into sort of like the setting for the final story of Lost. Yeah, it's just really interesting to see everything torn apart, considering the island as a place and how central it has been the past four years of television, right? It's almost like the final season of the show when you spend the last episode destroying the set. It's like the strike, really, from when you when you strike a set at the end of a theater yes. production of Loss, where it's like, we're just going to utterly destroy everything. It's going to come to a big head when the island literally, you know, basically splits in the end. But I think to your point, we're starting to see the signs here of like, the island is not a good place to live in 2007. So much stuff has gone down. And to see that in contrast to 1977, where it's almost like, I wouldn't say there's so much hope, but so much has not happened yet. Literally, the incident has not happened yet. Mm -hmm. It's almost like, uh, you know, unwaning optimism and then just like beaten down pessimism in the form of 2007 that I think is such a cool contrast. Yeah, it's big. Um, So the there's uh there's like all this like spooky sounds they hear something that sounds like the monster for sure no uh, it's an animal josh but it tracks right it tracks really well we listened to this at the top of the episode uh it tracks because christian shepherd is going to appear from inside one of these houses how could the monster be in two places at once um there is i think some timey wiminess here unless like yeah uh like if you're if you're gonna buy that like son and frank got to the barracks immediately that same night that they knocked ben out i think that there's some timey-wiminess that you need to get over here i think the reality of like how it would have to have matched up is because like you're gonna see like ben after being knocked out like he and Locke talk at night then there's Mm -hmm. at least like one daytime scene with them and then they go over uh, that I think, like I, I think I have to head cannon it as either uh, Son and Frank take like more than a day to reach the barracks, or it's just a continuity gaff. Yeah, it's really weird timing. I think again, this is a disadvantage of putting the life and death of Jeremy Bentham where it is, right? With oh, it just so happens that one of our outriggers gone. Now you have to figure out how can the monster be two places at once. I really think of it as that classic sitcom episode where the person commits themselves to two things at the same time, where I can imagine, you know, John Loki is like, all right, well, thanks for, you know, giving me this mango. 
I have to go to the bathroom in the woods. I'll yeah. be right back. And then you see like a, the smoke monster take off across the water and then form into Christian Shepherd that he's just like divided himself into too many places. He's taken on too many things. I love it. He's spread thin. Um, so he introduces himself. He announces himself. I'm Christian. Come come with me. And uh, this is also very evocative of the beginning of the end, right? When the light turns on in the cabin and the door opens, like very similar type of imagery here with the light going on and Christian opening the door. So he says, come on in, guys, uh, and uh, Frank and Son are going to go with Christian, uh, and they're going to get some intel on where is Jin and everybody else. Uh, let's listen in. Sound number six. What is this place? 72... 76, 78. Where is my husband? Oh, here we go, 77. He's, um... He's with your friends. What are you talking about? What friends? sorry, but you have a bit of a journey ahead of you. Okay, ready? Everybody say, Namaste. 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 I'm a what? Okay. Right on. Right on. Yeah. Right on. Cool. <laughs> uh, can, can, I, can I talk about Christian Shepherd for a second, Josh? Because this episode crystallized something for me that I, I really get a tickle out of. Because it makes me wonder, okay, again, Smoke Monster can take on a multitude of forms. Why is he greeting Son and Frank as Christian Shepherd? And it really makes me think back to, I know that he's going to be stuck in John Loki's body uh, for the duration of season six, but how he essentially, when he's being like his, his greeter here, whether in the cabin or Dharmaville, he's always Christian Shepherd because of Claire. Because if you think back to season four, right, like he's trolling Claire, he's bringing Claire in under his wing, infecting her, whatever, by appearing as her father. And so that's really what, you know, gets her sucked in drinking the Kool-Aid, as it were. In Cabin Fever, he appears as uh, he appears as Christian because partly because Claire is there, right? Because Claire is in the room and it'd be real weird if he appeared as someone else. And so then I think for then he's like, crap. Okay, now John Locke thinks I'm Christian. Okay, I guess I have to be Christian for when he turns the wheel. And now it's like, okay, well, I guess I have to be Christian for these people as well. Like, I think at a certain point he realized, all right, well, do I have to be Christian Shepherd for all these people that Jack Shepard's, you know, encountering? And what started as a troll job all the way back in White Rabbit on the monsters part has now fully become this, like, all right, in for a penny, in for a pound. I guess I got to be this dead guy for the duration of my time on the island whenever I appear to these people. Yeah, I think, like, uh, you know, the the end goal of, like, kind of, like, mystifying Jack to a certain degree is probably on the board, but it is, like, he's gone deeper into the lie, so let's just... The other piece is, like, maybe just, uh, it's a good fit. He likes what he sees in the mirrors, like a strapping young guy. Uh, young for him, anyway, because he's thousands <laughs> of years old. Yeah, I think uh, you can fill the body of a human skeleton and still consider yourself relatively young if you're the man in black. Yeah, so like, I feel like uh, Christian like is a good form. He likes this form, you know? 
I think like if there's like gonna, I think like if people are going to start trading stories that they've all seen this guy in the jungle, Christian, who a couple of people are connected to, whether it's Jack, it's Claire, Sawyer, Sawyer. as well. Um, Kate would probably be taken aback. She knows how important Christian was to Jack. She was at the funeral. She saw photos. Other people were at the funeral. Saeed, Hurley. I don't think Sun was. Uh, right. Uh, so I think like, yeah, why not spread it, uh, until like he's able to like do the final thing where he's going to activate into lock. I think that this is, uh, this is, this one's not bad. Not a bad yeah, idea. I, think, I just think, I just think it's really funny that again, like this dead body happens to wind up on the island and it becomes this seminal representation of the man in yeah. black, just like through the, this series of events. Yeah. And he's like, I'm good with this one. This is pretty great. I love the photo of everybody. Uh, yeah. I, lo- I love it's, the whole, it's, you have a bit of a journey ahead of you. It's just like, uh, you know, kind of like, uh. Sort of demonic and scary. Yeah, it's 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 yeah, it's foreboding. I think yeah. is the way I would describe it. Right, of like, oh, you've, you you think you've gotten out of hell, but you're just through one circle at this point. You're only as part way through the inferno. And it's also I invoked it before, but very much like The Shining, uh, these people are not ghosts at this point, but they might as well feel like it. And also, you know, it's what isn't this like the hundredth year from that photo to finish off The Shining as well? So like very fortuitous timing. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty close. Uh, so. Yeah, I think, like, you know, this being, like, something to, like, give Sun some measure of intrigue and Frank some measure of intrigue. Uh, could, if she's not a candidate, can he just kill her here? He could certainly probably kill Frank here. Mm-hmm. Um, don't think about that too hard. Yeah. No, he just, I think he just wants to toy with them, right? We talked about how the, the smoke monster is a big troll sometimes. And so I think... Why not sort of dangle them on the line for a bit, let them suffer, and then eventually kill them off? Yeah, he has fun. He This dude loves to have a good time with his prey. He likes to play with his food. Um, so they take the photo in the in the 70s. Everybody poses for the namaste picture. Uh, they've got hamburgers. We've got punch. It's going to be great. Not quite punch uh, what and a pie. Great comment. Yeah, punch and what Put that on the sign. You get more Dharma recruits. Yeah, they probably Prove would. it on South Park. Uh, uh, I came to the island. I was promised punch and pie. Uh, Saeed, and, and, and a free hat. Yeah, Saeed is rolled up. They, they all watch Saeed getting escorted in. I guess we found Saeed. Uh, Sawyer's going to throw him into the prison cell. Uh, and, uh, we are going to, uh, uh, see him like, kind of like nod at Saeed. He's like, we'll pick this up next week. Uh, <laughs> we'll do Basically, this next but, episode. But we, we get a glimpse that like the, the tricky tapestry right now with, with, because while it was tough to get Hurley, Kate and Jack within firmly ensconced within dharma like this is a much trickier situation because now saeed one of their own is being looked at as the enemy it's a again he's got a journey ahead of him but sawyer at the moment at least has it under control right he's saying bring saeed food we're not savages uh, maybe Sawyer should have followed up with whatever you do don't send baby ben linus as the man bringing the dinner okay just nah. anybody but that kid uh so later jack is gonna go to to phil he wants to see james lafleur don't call him james he hates it uh, Phil's already suspicious of Jack. You kind of get yeah, that and, read. And this goes back to, I think, before, you know, why they're so afraid of him. Like, it really does seem like Sawyer had a bit of a temper about him during certain times when he was uh, the head of security. And so I'm I'm assuming, like, uh, many, maybe like, 
you know, like certain uh, embroiled casting directors as of late. Like, I would not be surprised if Phil got a stapler thrown at him for calling him James. Oh Hunton. my god, it's not impossible. Uh, it isn't. I think that it makes some sense. Um, so Jack is going to go to uh, Lafleur. Don't call him James's house. And when he knocks on the door, the person who opens it is Juliet. Uh, and like he's a little bit like first taken aback. He gives her a hug. They have like this mm-hmm. nice moment. It is like this idea like they were in the trenches together. I'm right. sure that they are like genuinely both like thrilled to see each other uh, and like relieved yeah. that the other is alive. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I still think that ship had sailed, right? Like we talk about the end of the other woman and how odd that is, but I think we sort of broke it down as more of a platonic protective thing than a genuine romantic thing by the end of season four. It's very clear they spend three, uh, you know, three years away from each other. I do not think this side is built up as much as the Kate and Sawyer stuff is going to be built up. They meant a lot to each other for a very intense period of time. This whole thing is an intense period of time, and it was an intense period of time within the intense period of time. Uh, And (laughs) they meant a lot. They meant so much to each other that they're like, they are going to be like co-mingled in like their grand assessment of themselves in the sideways, right? That they, you know, parent a child together is not insignificant. Um, so I, I do think that that's like worth, worth clocking and they will have a moment. She's going to like really ream him out in a couple of episodes. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and I'll also say, I feel like his initial bewildered reaction, we'll get into this with the, you know, his, his uh, stepping into the floor home. I don't think it's him being like, oh my god, Juliet's with somebody else. I think the reaction is much more so like, wow, she's with Sawyer? I did not see that coming. Right, right. Uh, so he is surprised when he comes in. He puts it together. He's like, ah, okay. Because I'm, I'm here to see Sawyer. And she's like, yeah, come on in. He's like, oh, okay. Uh, all right. You know, a lot has happened. I need to start getting used to that. Uh, she says to him, I'm sure you have a lot to talk about, you two. Uh, and indeed, they do. It, this is definitely the best scene of the episode. Let's listen yep. to it in its entirety. Sound number seven. Take a load off. You want a beer? No. <laughs> no, I'm fine. What can I do for you, Jack? I don't even know where to start. Uh, How about with Saeed? I had no choice. He was running around the jungle, got caught by my people. See, that's how he can't tell the truth about how he got here. I had to improvise. Improvise? Uh Uh-huh. For now, Saeed is safe, which is all that matters. So where do we go from here? I'm working on it. Really? Because it looked to me like you were reading a book. I heard once Winston Churchill read a book every night, even during the Blitz. He said it made him think better. It's how I like to run things, I think. I'm sure that doesn't mean that much to you, because back when you were called in the shots, you pretty much just reacted. See, you didn't think, Jack. And as I recall, a lot of people ended up dead. I got us off the island. But here you are, right back where you started. So I'm going to go back to read my book, and I'm going to think. Because that's how I saved your ass today. And that's how I'm going to save Saeed's tomorrow. 
All you gotta do is go home and get a good nice rest. Let me do what I do. Ain't that a relief? Yeah. So I don't know about you, Josh, but the very first thing I thought of when I was watching this scene was Tabula Rasa mm-hmm. and the whole uh, I'm on the wild yeah. scene. Because it's, it's a great mirror to how the more things change, the more they stay the same a bit. Because let's remember back in that scene in, you know, the hollowed out plane, that was Sawyer chiding Jack's leadership then, right, for trying to save the marshal. Uh, you know, you're still you're still living in civilization. You got to get accustomed to the times. Here, Sawyer's kind of making a similar argument to Jack, just in a very different position. Yeah, so this, uh, I, I would love for, for us to chew on this a little bit. This came our way from the great Ovsinensky. Uh He wrote in, he said, Where 316 and Lafleur represented the fulcrum of the series, Namaste represents the turning point of a show that returns to being almost solely about the adventures of our heroes on the island. This turning point is personified most acutely by the eschewing of John Locke as Jack's primary antagonist among the castaways and the installation of Sawyer as his replacement in that role. Whereas the tension between Jack and Locke was almost always philosophical, the Sawyer versus Jack debates are typically more practical and strategic. And of course, they leave more room for lightness, such as Sawyer sticking Jack with janitorial duties or schooling him on Churchill's reading habits during the Blitz. Locke versus Jack is replaced by Sawyer. Namaste, bitches, is what Av says. Um, <laughs> thank you, thank you, Vetus slash Av. That's a great email. I, it's a really interesting thought because again, I agree, but at the same time, it's also a reversion back to that to the mean because that was a good part of season one, right? Like the whole Jack versus Locke stuff really wasn't set up until like the tail end of season one with everything going on with Boone. For the vast majority of it, it was Jack versus Sawyer. And so I think, again, I really like that drum that you've been beating about how this episode, I think, harkens back to some classic season one stuff. I think that's another example of it. Yeah. Um, I really love the scene a lot. I think it's like a, it's like Sawyer's not being cruel with Jack right now. He's laying down the law. And he's like, I know you're used to being the boss. Uh, you were the boss for a very long time. A lot of people died. Uh, it wasn't great. I'm sure you were just doing your best and I will be the mature one who says you're not a terrible human being, but also you're not in charge anymore. You're on my turf. This is my place. Uh, This idea, like you said, like me, I'm in the wild. It's like, no, I'm in my house. (laughs) I'm in my home. I'm reading. I offered you a beer. This isn't the wild. You have come into my home. Are you going to just start kicking your feet up on my furniture, opening doors to rooms (laughs) you shouldn't be opening? Oh, no. Sawyer's become Mr. Friendly all over again. He's being rather friendly to Jack, all things considered. He's off to take a load off, drink a beer. I'd love to know how you guys got here. How have things been? Like, the door is open for that, and it's Jack who makes it intense. Because Jack is all like, all right, I'm back. This is what I've been looking for. This is what I've been wanting. And Sawyer's like, yeah, you're here, but I'm in charge. And that's the way it's going to be. And so, like, Jack's whole thing right now is like, I'm here for a reason. This is not it being the leader right now. And whatever reason it is, is going to manifest for me. It's going to show itself. Um, But Jack, like, 
there's like this illusion of Jack being like very patient and waiting for the thing. Um, and like, that's not exactly what's going on with this yeah. character. Uh, that, that being said, so I initially in my first draft of this gave him an LVP point because I agree. I, I feel like he got dressed down. He did not necessarily come across as I think that uh, receptive to all the stuff that, that Sawyer was doing for them. But I relented from it ultimately because i do think like putting yourself in jack's headspace which again is a flawed headspace as we've said many times i don't think it's lvp worthy i do agree that sawyer's congeniality is good and obviously he saves their butt many many times but i do think i don't know if sawyer needs to necessarily add like uh hey you know what uh, back in the day like you got them off the island but where did that get you uh you know look how many people died on your watch i understand the point that he's making of essentially you just gotta sit on your hands and let me do what i do i do feel it's digging the knife a bit to say well the reason why you have to sit on your hands is because you were a bad leader in the past right. i don't think that's the argument to necessarily make so i i do feel for jack a bit here like you said i think you did a great job vocalizing like where his headspace is at even though yeah it's, it's very clear at this point that he either feels challenged or antsy or just like really at a loss as to what to do now yeah he doesn't know what to do with his arms, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, what am do I, I supposed to do with Do I put them in my pockets? Yeah. Do I? Yeah, what am I supposed to do? Uh, he's not very I wonder, good. Think, should we look at the picture? What was he doing with his hands in that picture? I don't know. Uh, we didn't do the analysis. We probably should have. Uh, speaking of things to do with your hands, uh, Sawyer uh, follows Jack outside. He sees Kate across the way. They have the most awkward wave. Yeah, so this is another, again, sort of hinting towards, like, uh, well, you know, things are awkward now with the new arrivals, and that's what we're going we're gonna to be dealing with. And, of course, like, I don't know if this is coincidental or not, that, that you know, Sawyer or someone gets Kate set up at the stoop right next door to him, right? It's evocative of that season four stuff that we talked about last episode. Yeah, it's uncomfy. Um, let's end the episode. We'll listen in. It's a great setup for He's Are You uh, and like a really dark storyline that we are about to embark upon. Um, without further introduction, sound number eight. Hey, Phil. I'm just going to go in there and deliver him a sandwich. All right. Hello. I brought you a sandwich. I didn't put mustard on it. But if you'd like some, I could get some. This will be fine, thank you. Are you a hostel? Do you think I am? What's your name? Said. What's yours? I'm Ben. It's nice to meet you, Ben. Yeah. 
shoot him, shoot him, shoot, shoot him, shoot him, him sh- now, shoot him. Um, <laughs> clever boy. Clever boy. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's going to do that next week. So this is like the start of that storyline of like, how far has Saeed Jarrah fallen? Why has he fallen so hard? And how much further is he willing to go for, wait for it, the greater good? Uh, so uh, great to see uh, Sterling Beaumont back on the show as young yeah, little Ben. I mean, I'm glad this wasn't a Malcolm David Kelly situation where he went through puberty in the two years in between though so let's let's place this in the timeline a bit because i i needed a little bit of my memory jogged we know that at some point ben approaches richard alpert in the middle of the jungle and he talks about uh oh you can be a hostile like us you just have to be patient speaking of patience and we now see ben expressing interest in the hostiles to saeed correct me if i'm wrong here all of this takes place after that stuff in the man behind the curtain right because with the man behind the curtain we see that scene and then the very next thing we've seen is is michael emerson gassing his dad yeah i think that he has established contact with richard at this point for sure um he's on richard's radar i mean like it's going to be a big piece of why uh richard is uh gonna want to like you know accept him into the temple because like they're investing a decent amount in Ben. Like, I think that they're already starting to think, like, someday this relationship will bear fruit. Uh, so, yeah, uh, that that's that stuff has already occurred. Yeah, that makes, that makes sense. I mean, it gets, it's tough when you have the same actor, right, of, like, where is this place in the timeline, like we talked about in the beginning of the episode. But that's good to establish that he has interest in the hostiles. The hostiles have interest in him. But we're really going to start fast-tracking things, starting with the actions that happen at the end of next episode. Yeah. Um, I love this ending, though. It's just, like, such a classic thing. Like, what, one of Lost's favorite things to do is, like, what's your name? I'm very important character. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You must... I must be introduced. I'm God. Yeah. Dun, I'm, dun, dun. I am massively important name here. Uh, like, it's just always, like, what's your name? Said. What's yours? I'm Ben. You know, Ben. Uh, just, I love the way that they uh, they play that. I think it's hilarious. And it's a really, it's a great setup into it's such a good setup. what's to come. Yeah, yeah. It's, I, These last two scenes, I think, are the strongest parts of the episode by far. And that they, I think they really set up from a long-term and a short-term perspective, like just how much, as much as Sawyer has done a great job of pulling off this con for three years, it has become incredibly more complex and difficult now with these new arrivals. Yeah. Um, well, so let's rate this one. I think like, uh, I, I think like talking it through, like I feel like, uh, like knocking myself down ever so slightly from where I came into this. Originally I had it at 3.6, which is where I have the lie and this place is death. And I think like, this is, this is not as good as those in my opinion. I think that there are things in both of those episodes, um, that are, that are better than this one. So I'm giving it a 3.5 is where I'm landing with it all. Ultimately, I'm just like mm-hmm. shaving off something of a point. Um, I do think it's the weakest of season five, but it also has like a really difficult job. I think this episode, uh, like it's just like it, it is just like let's put some stuff on the board. We kind of just got to do this thing. I think the timing is a little wonky. Um, it would probably rate lower if not for the fact that it does have some scenes in it that I think are really exceptional. Yeah, I think the scenes are good. I think there are some very great things that we just talked about. I think for me, it's just one of those things of like, okay, but not that they could be better or that they exist in better forms in other episodes. So I ended up giving this one a flat three. I think I would put it in the same league as episodes like 
the glass ballerina right. or homecoming or special. It's like these episodes that have, in those cases, I think those were flawed episodes that had some good to them. I don't think this episode has as many flaws as those episodes, but there was nothing in particular that I think like were such saving graces as those things, right? As Sawyer and Kate, the humor of them building the runway or like abandons another episode of like this, the Shannon flashbacks in abandoned and that ending. I think this one is steady in line with how season five has been, but I think it is steadily okay for me across the board. And I think for me, that wells me enough to put it at a flat three. And I will say, I can imagine this is going to be my lowest rated episode of season five. Yeah, I think that that's totally fair. Um, so we have the listeners averages at a 3.6. So uh, at my original score, between yours, mine, the listeners, it's a 3.36. It is the bottom ranked episode of season five thus far. I think it'll probably stay there. Uh, I yeah, do think so. I'd imagine so. Like you said, I think Follow the Leader might be the closest it's a contender. contender. There's a possibility that uh, that like my estimation of some of the episodes we're coming up to are a lot higher than other people's. Mm-hmm. I think it'll certainly be higher than other people's, but not, I don't know if it's by a little or a lot. So there's still like some potential surprises to come with the with the rankings of season five as we move forward. Um, as it stands, last place for. Namaste. Um, let's get into some feedback, Mike. The great Dallin Servo writes, and oh, we talked about this a little bit. Um, Dallin writes, and did the other people on the plane travel to the near future? Uh, it's night. They also see the bright light, and then suddenly it's day. Um, I think it's like it's either that, Mike, or um, yeah, they've shifted across space, right? Like they have like moved. Like uh, if the if the if the island isn't actually there and they just like flew into a pocket of electromagnetic energy that would like ping some of them back in time to the island having been there and then the other people it's like flinging them across the planet to like the island is in i don't know uh it's off the coast of uh the the uh i don't know off the coast of uh we want to say Connecticut. Curling, curling, Connecticut, curling. Connecticut. The islands on Connecticut near Connecticut right now. Uh, like maybe it did that. I don't know. What do you think? Mm. Do you have a Do you have a feeling? I mean, of if like- this was if this was off the coast of Connecticut, I would have had my own story. Though there was back in the day, there was an island off the coast of where I used to frequent the beach, where there was like a nuclear power plant on it. So maybe that was Could some be. sort of Dharma station. No, I mean, I, I talked about it before. I honestly think I could be persuaded to think. That the I that the plane was this magic school bus, and that it dropped off those four particular people because remember they had to be there in the seventies at that particular time they were flying through, like right when Locke was turning the wheel, and then the rest of them flash forward a little bit of portion of time, like there was a little bit of resetting of okay we're we're continuing forward because the wheel stopped, but also like there's one more flash happening, and so the time flash occurred. So I mean, luckily this will be the last time we deal. With these time flashes, I think it'll be the last time this season as well that we get like the 30 years earlier uh, subtitle as well. But I, I guess that's my theory at the moment, though, from my own personal perspective, if it was off the coast of Connecticut, I wouldn't be too mad. I love that. I think it's great. Um, from Ben Martell, the Ben behind the curtain, he says, I find the choice to have Frank and son go to Dharmaville in this episode a little strange. Wouldn't this moment of creepy horror be more impactful if Ben was there as well? At least then you have one person who has a history of living there. And if they can't take Ben off Hydra just yet, then why not wait for this real reveal entirely? You could even use that 2007 time to flesh out Alana and Caesar 
a little bit. Um, I, I, um, I, I, I like that point, or at least I like the, I, I think having Ben go there would have been an interesting choice. Obviously he'll make his way over there eventually, but I think again, it's another thing of, well, at the end of Jeremy Bentham, Ben was there, so he can't go with them. So we have to figure out what happens. I do think if Ben had indeed gone with them, there could have been, while it does, you know, prevent Sun from having that badass or moment, there, there are some interesting elements to having, you know, Ben come into, he's going to come into encounter with the smoke monster in a much bigger form and dead is dead. But to have him sort of like walk through desiccated Dharmaville would have been an interesting image. Yeah. I, I don't mind it. I think that, um, I think that having Frank and Son, both of whom are like very grounded characters in this show, both of whom are characters that we love a lot and are, you know, full of life walking through this ghost story. Um, you know, Ben is like a character that you're invested in, but like, do you like Ben? Like, is he a likable character? No. Um, do you love the character? Sure. But like, is he likable? No. And I think Sun and Frank are both really likable and you're like very nervous for them at all times. Uh, rightfully so for Sun, as it turns out. Um, that I think to have them there in this place uh, that is like decrepit and wrong and shouldn't look like this and is scary and is reminding you not just of what happened in season four, but is also reminding you of what happens to the Dharma initiative. I think is a good contrast with like the, like the, the hippie dippy vibe of the seventies. So I don't mind these two characters being here at all to just like show like, yeah, like what Sawyer has built is great, but it ain't going to last. Well, I also think this is also coming from the retrospect of how, Caesar and Alana, especially Caesar, are going to be such nothing burgers. Like I can certainly imagine at the time, right? It's like, but you're you're just leaving behind. Like, what's going on? Who are these people? What are they doing back on Hydra Island? And we sort of leave that behind in favor of these two characters going to Dharmaville. But I think now that we know that there really was nothing doing with those characters, we can be more forgiving of the choice for them to Amscray immediately. Um, Jim Fells writes in and says, I'm kind of on Jack's side during his argument with Sawyer. Sawyer's in no real position to complain about Jack's leadership. He's had it easy. In fact, Sawyer made it harder for Jack for a long time when he was originally in charge. The moment Sawyer finds himself in a tough position, which is when Phil confronts him about the tape, he finds himself reacting without thinking by punching Phil in the face. I just can't see Jack handling that situation the same way. Here's uh, where I will like agree and disagree with with uh, the legendary Jim Fells. Mm-hmm. Um, I th- I think that like part of the point that we're trying to drive at is like leadership is hard. Uh, yeah. Bad bad decisions are easy to arrive at. Um, this will be punctuated much further when Sawyer won't listen to Jack in the submarine. He'll pull out the the wires and the the clock will just like mm-hmm. go faster. Um, and as a result, three people will die. <laughs> right you know like that's not great like i think that like nobody is right you know like it's it's hard it's hard to like be like uh like don't like you know throw stones and stuff like that i think is a very big piece of the story with these characters specifically but also just like sort of like the the concept of of the leader which is so central to the ideas of of lost where i'll disagree is like um is jack not just like gonna punch phil in the face um, he's gonna get into an open firefight in the middle of the barracks. Uh, mm-hmm. He is going to like when Roger Workman just like slightly suggests that maybe Kate is suspicious and he should talk to Horace about it. Jack is like basically gonna be like, 
well, she's my friend, and if you do that, it's going to be a very bad idea. Uh, and so, like, he may as well, he should have just punched Roger Workman in the face at that point. It would have been more satisfying. Uh, so I think, I, I don't want to, like, say that, like, Jack and Sawyer are going to act so differently when faced with, like, the moments of revelation here in the 70s. Uh, I think that the truth about these characters is they are a lot more alike than either of them would like to admit, and that's a big mm-hmm. piece of their journey, is, like, arriving at these points of self-acceptance and they do it in different ways and in different styles and they're they're assholes at different points in time and they're heroes at different points in time until they kind of just become who they are in the final uh the 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 final push of the story um and who they are in the final push of the story in many ways is not far away from who the other one is well i think what we can do over the course of these next few episodes is to jim's point let's do some wwjd what would Jack do in response to, you know, what would he do in Sawyer's position? Because uh, Sawyer's going to be put to the ultimate test over these few episodes. And so I think it's it's a good point to see exactly what would happen. Plus, listen, to your first point, the only good leader we know is Hurley. So this that's, that's just it. the entire thesis of loss at this point. Uh, from Daniel Brennan, my favorite thing about Namaste is that it sets up Jack's journey for the rest of the series. At the beginning of the episode, he seems hesitant to follow Sawyer's lead. By the end, he reveals it'll be nice to let others make decisions for once. The Jack of the final two seasons has always been one of my favorite characters on Lost, and Namaste is a key episode in showing that he has finally learned to, at times, let go. See, again, I, I don't know, maybe this is just me projecting. I didn't necessarily get the read from Matthew Fox's performance that he's like, yeah, this is great. I could take a vacation. I, I mean, Sawyer just like directly insulted him to his face. I thought it was more so like Tempest brewing underneath Jack through gritted teeth says, yeah, this is great. See you tomorrow, buddy. And that clearly something isn't done. But that's just my read. Um, let's get into the MVP LVPs here, Mike Bloom. You've got three MVPs. I've got two. I've got three LVPs. You've got two. Where do you want to start? So I'll give two out of my three to the power couple of LaFleur. I'm going to give one to Sawyer and I'm going to give one to Juliet. Uh, Sawyer does a lot of the legwork, but I feel like Juliet deserves some commendation here. She does save Kate's neck at the 11th hour. And it really is her work with the sub manifest that allows Sawyer to move forward and get stuff done. But I, I do feel like uh, if I had to choose one of the two here, if I had only two points, it would have to go to Sawyer because not only with the stuff he does with the trio, but also what he's able to do at the moment for Saeed as well. I think that's why I end up giving it to Sawyer uh, for me, for one of my MVP points. I'm going to give it to Sawyer. Um, I think Juliet with with the with the submarine manifest, manifest is very clever and she does a great job there. And if I had a third MVP point to give, I'd give it to Juliet. Um, but Sawyer is just, again, still just like, kind of pushing in and operating very evenly in a really stressful situation. Uh, I continue to be really impressed by him. I have to give my second MVP point to Frank Lapidus. Yeah, um, I, have to give my, I have to give my third as well. He lands a plane he lands on the island. A- after potentially traveling through time uh, a little tiny bit, right? Uh, at the very least, uh, like he, it goes from night to broad daylight. So what the hell is going on there? And he's still able to land the plane uh, in a in a shape that this plane is going to be able to take off later on in the show, impressive, definitely. Consider impressive. yeah, consider this our belated awarding of MVP points for Frank Lapidus, you know, taking the chopper off of mm-hmm. the the freighter that's blowing up, right? Like he's finally getting his due now. It's very impressive. Um, 
LVPs. I'm slapping all three of mine onto Rosinski because I hate him. I hate him. I hate him so much. He sucks. He's terrible. I hate him. He's so mean to everybody. He's mean Josh, to Jin. You, I don't know. You, you gotta you gotta make sure you in everything in moderation. You know, don't let your hate flow out at once. We have plenty of episodes of Rosinski to dole out points. Yeah, too. but it's gonna get tight the deeper we go because there's gonna be other people to give LVPs to. So like, while I've got Rosinski as a wide open target, there's like no one else in this episode that rubs me raw quite as much as Rosinski. So I'm just gonna toss three on to Rosinski and, and feel really good about that head start. See, that being said, I was thinking about throwing one or two on as well, but I also feel like I don't want a dog pile necessarily here when it, it's, he's playing like a relatively small role in the episode. I'm sure there's much worse stuff to come. There's some other people worthy of points. I'm going to give one to Ben because Ben does indeed like get shellacked here and let his guard down. So again, I think Ben's downslide in season five is going to continue. And we barely touched upon him but I'm going to give an LVP point to Caesar because what what cojones this man has to just be like, hey, screw you, pilot. I know what we're doing right now. We're going to ransack these buildings. Everyone follow my lead. Don't listen to that guy. Uh, I didn't like the way that he took control. Don't don't put Frank Lapidus in a corner. OK, Caesar. Good news. You're not going to have to worry about him for too much longer. No, uh, no, no. I think I think he has maybe one more episode. I, he, I think he appears in four episodes total, and I think this was his third. Um, we're not going to see him. I don't think we're going to see him next week. Um, I don't think we see him in whatever happened, happened. And then he comes back and dead is dead, and he is dead and dead is dead. Uh, yeah. So uh yeah enjoy them while you got them folks uh and that, that's another Caesar. reason too is uh yeah well we're gonna have much more time to i think dump on alana in the episodes to come but i want to take advantage of that Caesar that's moment. fine i'm totally fine with that um all right so next up on the podcast he's our you coming your way on july 16th it'll come a little earlier for the patrons of post show recaps if you're a patron of post show recaps you get episodes of down the hatch two days early worth signing up think about it patreon.com slash post show recaps um i would say get your feedback in for he's are you but haha it's too late We're, by the time you're <laughs> listening to this uh we've recorded it even if you're listening to this as a patron you might be listening to these words like two hours after Mike and I have right. uh, finished uh, recording He's Are You. So it's way too late at this point to get your feedback in for He's Are You for the He's Are You podcast, but you can, of course, still send it in to get tacked on to whatever happened, happened down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com. Um, Mike, what else is going on in your neck of the woods that you'd like to talk about here? See, now again, I'm, I'm displacing time. I have to think about, uh, I think next week, next week's going to be more so when I have to figure out where things are. Oh yeah, of. sure. Uh, well, big brother season is here as is love Island season. If you are a fan of, uh, you know, the uh, confinement as we'll see with Sunny next week or Island based shenanigans, you can check out what I'm doing at parade.com. Lots of preseason content between interviews though at this if you're listening to this on friday both of those shows will have already premiered but much more stuff to come uh as well as josh i got to swing in for you on the loki podcast this week or i'm going to again depending on when you're listening to this with the great kevin mahadeo talking the penultimate episode of loki there is some delicious weirdness going on over there and i'm very excited to have the opportunity to break it down as as you know you head off for a little bit of portion of time and other than that all the usual survivor south africa and uh the bloom file stuff going on in your ear holes too yeah 
Great stuff, Mike. Uh, just killing it as always. And I'm really excited for the end of the He's Are You podcast when you're going to have to try and project what you've got going on uh, the following week. Uh, try to like map all of that out yeah, like and, Charlie and, 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 Day and, and Always where- Sunny. And if anything can happen in an instant, I've been told to expect the unexpected. So it's going to be a fun guessing game. Oh, my God. All right. So much happening on Post Show Recaps. Make sure you're listening to all the things. Subscribe to your favorite podcasts on Post Show Recaps and leave some ratings and reviews. That's very, very, very helpful, whether it's Down the Hatch or if you're a Bloom Files fan or if you like Worst Day Ever, the 24 Recap Podcast with myself and Emily Fox or Everything is Super because you're enjoying the Loki coverage or Community Building or Ang In There or the Final Fantasy Podcast. We would love love your support it's not just by being a patron of post show recaps you can help us by just leaving a review leaving some ratings helping other people find the shows uh simple as that we would love your support if you've got it to give we'll be back next week talking about he's are you which is an episode i'm really excited to talk about i love this one yeah Uh, i i really have no feelings about it what i remember the first time i watched this batch of season five episodes was I felt, and I vocalized this a bit, I think, after 316, was like, I thought we would then reach a period of episodes where it's like, okay, we're stepping back into flashbacks and, you know, more character-centric episodes. I remember at the time being like, just do something! Come on! Let's get to the incident! Just blow up the bomb! Etc. Etc. So I had sort of, like, lamented these slower, more character-focused episodes. Or not slower, I guess, just more focused on, you know, these characters' past than it has been the previous two-thirds of the season. But now that I come in with a completely different lens, I'm very excited. And like you said at the very beginning of this podcast, like this is going to kind of be an O2 Saeed Jarrah. This is going to be his last centric episode proper uh, because, you know, everything else we get from him is going to be flash sideways and weird ass undead Saeed in season six. So it's going to kind of be like a soft farewell to a character, at least from like a centric perspective. Yeah, it's going to be great. I'm really excited. Naveen Andrews is exceptional in this one. Uh, He's just so, 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 so good. It's such a showcase for him. Um, So I'm really, really hyped to talk about it. We'll talk about it. You and me, we'll talk about it tomorrow. (laughs) And uh, everyone will hear it next week. We hope you enjoy it. Until then, everybody, take care. Bye-bye. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.